Welcome to this episode of Barrels and Business. As always, I'm your host, Jay Green, and my job here is to bring you an hour or so of tangible tips and tools of how you can grow and scale your business and talk some shit about the surf. I have found this guy just loitering around in the corner pockets of Cool and Gatta, trying to use that as a co-working space. This amazing man, marketing maven and founder of Consulting Unleashed is none other than John Logar. John is a serial entrepreneur, business strategist, marketing maven, sales process maestro. He coaches digital marketing agencies and consultants. He's inspired by entrepreneurship and he freaking loves, freaking, he fucking loves marketing and sales even more. Now, he's not a surfer, he says, but we're going to let him by because he is a sup rider and he can be found just down here at the alley being that annoying one that's like far, far out catching We catch all everything. the waves. We catch all the waves. It's like, really? You greedy, greedy person. <laughs> we, we see them coming before you do. Like, what am I supposed to do? I see the wave before everybody else. I know. So, well, look, yeah. as long as you share a few and it. Like, hopefully you end up at Lacey's and it takes you a long time to, to yeah, you don't want to paddle win. yourself you don't all want to the way win. back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, no, no. So, yeah. Uh, well, we've talked about this for a while, yeah. but we finally got you here because like, you were all the way up the road. Yeah. <laughs> Literally a five-minute drive. Yeah. So how long have you been here on the Gold Coast now? Because you were like... I'm stuck here. Yes. I'm stuck. Uh, so COVID hit us, pandemic hit us in... March of last year, I uh, had nowhere to live. We actually... Uh, we both had nowhere life, to live in March live. Yep. last year while so we were in Melbourne. Most of my life has been in the United States, so uh, uh, between Austin, Texas and Los Angeles and uh, and also San Diego and unfortunately uh, came home to look after family and couldn't go back. So I've been here for now a little over a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's great to be back in Oz. Um, uh, I'm originally from Melbourne and... Um, but uh, yeah. aren't you glad <laughs> when we were in Melbourne that weekend when we both were like we can't fly anywhere after this? Yeah, you didn't say you know what I'm from Melbourne I'm going to stay here. What made yeah. you What made you make the decision to go? You know um, what crumbing it is. Well, family in Queensland, so I went through the lockdown for three months uh, to look after family members, and then uh, uh, I couldn't live there anymore. Like being family, thought got to find our own space. So, uh, so yeah, and I thought I'll go down to the coast. I mean, what better place than what's behind us? Yeah. Uh, uh, and I thought it's you know it's probably been uh, an interesting sort of time to be in one place and not travel around. Like I've literally lived out of suitcase for six years, um, and uh, and to be in one place, I kind of enjoyed the stability. Uh, but at the same time, I kind of miss home as well. Even though this is the original home. So, what but- do you class as home? Um, wherever I am, basically, yeah. wherever my suitcase is, that's that's home. Wherever my suitcase is, but uh, ultimately, I, the US is home. Yeah, so that's where most of the people I work with, uh, most of the areas that I uh, I do a lot of speaking, I do a lot of events overseas, and um, but yeah, but you know, Australia's home. It's really weird. I started the business in Australia, and it took off in America, and so then it forced me to go and spend time in that market, and then I got to love living there, and so we started you know looking at homes and all that sort of stuff, and. Yeah. And then I did a lot of jumping back and forth. And then I got really tired of doing a, a flight every two weeks to the US. Uh, then oh. I thought, uh, yeah, it was like, com- that was a commute. Yeah. So, and the, the, the well, one. It was only 14 hours to LA. Yeah. So the saving grace of that 14 hours 
is nobody can text you, nobody can email you, nobody can touch you. I didn't do any work. I would never do any work on a flight. Oh, really? uh, for me, that was just like binge the movies, watch Game of Thrones, go through, yeah. all, read all the books that you wanted to read. Uh, just it was to me, it was just clean space. Yeah. Oh, I was the opposite. So, yeah. If yeah. I had to make a PowerPoint mm. or a presentation yeah. or a keynote, yeah. I would wait until I was flying to, which used to drive the, the like organizers that got me to come speak crazy because they were like, but you're arriving two days before and we yeah. haven't seen your stuff. And I'm like, yes, I make it on the plane. It's the yeah. only place. Yeah. It's like, I can't work on a plane. Can... I've tried many times oh, and I just can't do it. Zone. Yeah. And for me, it's like, uh, you know, because I, I like to travel with a level of comfort. Uh, you know, it's my entertainment. It's my bedroom. It's my dining mm. room. And I just get to share a bathroom with you know, 380 passages. So, so, uh, it was, it's like my little space. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's quiet, you know, apart from the buzzing of the aircraft, it's, I get to do all the things that normal people get to do when they're not working. When, yeah. So, yeah. And then I don't turn the internet on a flight. That was the worst thing that ever no. happened. My f- first experience of Wi-Fi on an airline was with, uh, uh, uh Virgin America traveling from, LA to New York was the first time they'd ever had Wi-Fi on a plane. I was on that plane. Pilots all excited, captain saying, hey, we got Wi-Fi. This is going to be really cool. Ten minutes in, the Wi-Fi crashes. <laughs> Ten minutes in on the first flight. And then it was really weird. People, everybody, all the people around me start complaining about the fact there's no Wi-Fi. And it's like, <laughs> never dude, had Wi-Fi 10 before. minutes ago, it didn't exist, right? And now you're complaining. So uh, I never turn the internet on when I'm flying, no. ever. So, yeah. I... I never do either, and I used to say, oh, no, my flight didn't happen, didn't work. Usually I would, they'd want me to be online, like, can you can you be on a call? I'm like, I can't, be, I can't run a sales team mm-hmm. call while I'm in the air. <laughs> like, that's just rude. But there's over China, there's no Wi-Fi when you're flying over China. Yep. And I think over some of the um, United Arab Emirates as well, like, like the UAE, you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's often when I was flying from Bali to Europe, it's like... <laughs> No Wi-Fi Sorry. here. Yeah. yeah. But it's, for some reason, I, I have a struggle with writing. Mm-hmm. I'm listexic and I just, it's, it's a thing. Mm-hmm. And, but you get me on a plane, mm-hmm. I can punch out. Can't, it's like a whole nother person just mm-hmm. comes on in and yeah. takes over. Different environment. Yeah. Air conditioning. Away yeah, you go. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so when did you start supping then? Because I'm guessing Austin, Texas, I... not a... Great deal of supping. Well, we've got a lot of lakes and rivers yeah. in Austin, Texas. I actually started supping at Redondo Beach in California. Yeah. And then uh, when I got back to Australia, because I live at Currumbin, uh, there's this beautiful creek there that's wide open. Uh, and I kept on looking out because I'm living, I actually kind of live in the rainforest overlooking yeah. uh, things. And I, was, I kept on seeing people paddleboarding all the time thinking, I live here, right? It's like, it's my backyard. So uh, uh, lo and behold, there's, paddleboarding places around where you get custom board design and all that sort of stuff. So I started doing my research and got into it, went and spoke to a few people, grabbed a few boards. And the guy who I, I bought my board off, he said, he literally, you know, puppy dog said, look, this is not your board. Try it. You like it? I'll make you one, right? And uh, so I took it 
and I held on to it for like three weeks and I thought, I'm not giving this back. Uh, but he says, no, no, I'll make you, you know, a new version okay. of this board, a new version board. So yeah, great, I've got a new board. But then it was, it was like a journey. Did you put journey. your logo on it? No, I didn't. Tax I didn't do that. Tax deductions, yeah. Look at this thing. I know. I know. I didn't put the logo on it. I got really confident really quickly um, and then just started heading out in the surf. I wasn't ready to do the surfing thing, but uh, I just went and did it anyway. Fell on my ass a million times. And, uh, but then all of a sudden, uh, it kicks in like it does for any, any, anything like that. And now it's like I get to see the waves coming. I get to move myself into the position of uh, uh, groups of waves. Uh, I get to read it better than people who've been surfing for years. And I get to steal their waves. Yeah. And I can surf anywhere. That's the cool thing about it. One of those people. One of those people. So, yeah. so we get a stick. You know, we yep. can ward people off. Um, you know, not worried. You know, we're not worried about sharks, right? We're already on top um, of the board. We're already standing yep. up. Uh, and that's the other thing is I don't have to do a pop-up. I can just yeah. stand up and go, you know. So uh, it's now six months. I love it. Yeah. It's been great. And three, four times a week, I'm somewhere out there on this coastline. That's amazing. Yeah. Where's your favourite? I'd have what to say. I'm going to pull the blind down for yeah. you. Like I'd have to say uh, favourite location would be Greenmount Beach. Uh, yes. um, Greenmount, Coolangatta, just in front of my office. Yeah, uh, my co-working space. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, only reason is because in the mornings uh, there's a pretty good um, uh, current, and you know, kind of averages anywhere between a meter and four meters depending on the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and the waves are long, you know, yeah. so all the way from Snapper all the way across Coolangatta. Oh, uh, do you, you sit out the, the back you, of Snapper? You could, well. sit, you could sit at the back of Snapper, catch a wave, and surf you would three not be beaches. Very there. No, not at all. Not at all. They hate me. I, I yeah. do. I do sit out behind them, so yeah. I don't really. I'm not really bothering them. Yeah. And but I will take the end, right, yeah. which is where they're all sitting. Yeah. Um, and then you know you, you hit the right moment and you just go and they're just sitting there waiting. So, you know, why waste the wave? Um, occasionally, rarely, rarely yeah. happens. I'm normally a little bit further on, so I don't really mess with anybody. Yeah. Because I, I don't want you know I want the room right. Yeah. So so I'm just taking whatever you know most people leave the waves that i take so and that's the other thing is you don't need big waves to do well on a stand-up stand up. so you can we're surfing anything i'd much know? prefer to see the stand-ups out there than the foils because those things just scare the foils are amazing i think that i speak I to people dangerous as shit <laughs> i feel like they're gonna cut my head off yeah i speak to people who ride them and they love them they, yeah. they think it's the most fun thing they've ever done for years they're bloody expensive yeah yeah i think yeah the foils are expensive in the crumb creek where i am now they're doing the electronic uh, foils, so the e-foiling. So really? The, yeah. So it's all like no, no so skill. Yuppie surfing there. Just jumping on, get the skatey thing going, and away you go. And it's all electronic, so they get about an hour out of the battery, and they can cut the waves. They can. You know, I saw a guy literally travelling this beach with one of them. Uh, and so wow. yeah, the foils also give you a distance in a wave. Yeah. So you got more longevity. But uh, they're I, pretty groovy. When I was living at um, Coolangatta, I used it was when they first. Mm-hmm. were getting popular and mm. you'd see them all the way from snapper down and there was like they're on a, a nothing yeah but i'd been in the surf once at i'd sort of caught a couple of ways i was coming back out of Greenmount, mm-hmm. and this do come flying through and you know what it's like there it's pretty there's lots mm-hmm. of people yep. and if someone was in his way i how would you you'd collect somebody through yeah and these yeah. they're pretty they're, they're, i find the foils pretty maneuverable i haven't yeah. been on one but i've seen guys who are even on sups they, they, they've got foils that are sups so uh uh because they've got these now these we've watching people later before they've got yeah. the wind um they've got yeah. these wings the bat wings right yeah and so they don't need to be they, they don't need to be um 
on the uh, you know with the kite surfing yeah they've literally got a wing and then that wing lifts them up out of the water and they're just on a foil so the boards are anywhere from seven to about nine feet is about I think the size some of them are even short about six feet but uh, but they they're amazing like they just cut through the water they give you a longer ride yeah so they're great to watch they're great to watch I love any of the surfers that are watching or listening to the podcast put into the comments below what your opinion is is this is this blasphemy to is it is it destroying the purest sport or is it something you guys will embrace is it what you do when there's no actual swell I think so, if you get as you, I think also as you get older, you want to be, you know, you're, you're not as keep nimble. You in the water. Yeah. It'll keep you in the water longer. I think. I met, I've met paddleboarders. The yeah. older I get, the shorter I'm going. <laughs> Everyone's like, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. As a as a kid, yeah. I rode a longboard. Yeah. Then I had 17 years of not being in the water. Yeah. And then I've come back and I got on a seven two, which was a short board for me at that yeah. stage, seven two, and yeah. now that's five seven. Yeah. And. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I was when I was younger, I was did the other way around. I did shortboard and then moved to the longboard as I got older. Yeah, but well, that's um, the usual progression. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, a little uh, bit less nimble, yeah, a little yeah, bit less yeah. speed. But but yeah, but I'm like, I, I guess um, uh, I've met people in Hawaii who've been paddleboarding for for years. I mean, I'm trying to remember the guy's name, the big wave surfer who's into it. Um, God, I, I can't remember. Got a picture in my head, but he's been paddleboarding for thirty years. Oh. He's a big wave surfer. Yeah. And but paddleboards is number one go to. Wow. Um, so they do a lot of downwinding between islands in Hawaii. Yeah. They're doing a lot of ocean surfing. Um, and uh, you know, there's guys out there. I met a guy and he was like 82, 82, yeah, and he was champion. he was crushing it on the waves. Um, and you know, and he had a, I couldn't figure out he had a really short paddle too. So normally, on, you know, your paddle's a little bit shorter than a normal stand up. Yeah. in the water his was like half the length but he was just grinding it and just riding everything uh you know and at, at 82 i mean that's longevity yeah. yeah and i by the way on sups i see people on racing sups who are in their 60s and their 70s yeah out there gunning it over it's the young it. people yeah like Love literally it. destroying it so i don't know i think it, i mean it's a growing it's a far, it's probably one of the fastest water sports that are growing at the moment yeah surf wise uh all the surf shops are now carrying sups are they yeah so yeah. Uh, yeah, so and you can take and these, them anyway. And blow up subs. Yeah, blow up subs. You can t- are starting to get better than what they used to be. Yeah. But um, uh, uh, they can. They're not that. Well, actually, no. They can be expensive. The, the bigger subs do get do get pricey, but there are a lot of cheap ones out there. Yeah. But um, the blow up subs, unfortunately, if you catch a bit of wind, they're much harder oh, to paddle. Yeah. Whereas if you've got the you know your resin boards and your yeah. You know, your standard boards tend to be a bit faster. Yeah. But uh, yeah. When it turns into a lake out here, I have kind of wished I had a. A sup to mm. go out, and after we we're talking about the the reef earlier, mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind um, having a sup for out there because the paddle out on the shelf waters. Yeah, well, yeah. that's the thing. I've you know you they can go out. Of, fight them yeah, off with. you can get you can you can paddle out a fair distance, um, uh, and you know you can take it easy too. Like center of gravity is pretty stable, and you can just sort of if you want to sit or lie or paddle on the board normally as if you were surfing. You can do all that on the Yeah. You know, so uh, it's quite a bit of an all-rounder thing. Yeah. yeah. I've got a friend. Actually, he's going to come on the podcast. He does a lot of work. He's a um, professional lifeguard. Mm-hmm. He runs all the drones for WSL when they're in town for the Sharks. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's been a – he's, like, surfed in the world titles for longboarding. He's a full waterman. Mm-hmm. And he um, – I think he's in the I think he's in the world champ for SUPS as mm-hmm. well. And he mm-hmm. – yeah. He's like, no, no, it's not blasphemy. I'm like, oh, Led no. Hamilton. Oh, lad. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a huge sup dude. Yeah. He's been supping for 
nearly 20, 30 well, years. Well, it's good enough for Lair. <laughs> You know, it's got to be good enough. I mean, he's a legendary big wave surfer. Yeah. And uh, his go-to, if you asked him flat out, straight out, there's a there's a dock called Glide. Yep. Uh, he'll say, my go-to is I'll pick up the paddle. Glide, you said. Glide, yeah. Okay, we'll put that in the show notes. I'm yeah. going to check that out. Yeah, it's really cool. On YouTube. Yep. Yep. Oh, <laughs> check that out. Okay, The history well, of supping. So that's all supping. supping. That's supping. Everything's sup. We're down. <laughs> Let's move on to everything marketing. Everything marketing. Where do we begin? We, we, <laughs> we're like, wait, we've got to part this conversation. We've just spent an hour and a half talking shit before we press go on, on the podcast all about marketing yeah. and the, the challenges for business owners um, coming into the digital age, what's happened due to COVID and mm-hmm. having to get familiar with technology, mm-hmm. the, the uh, ins and outs of branding and marketing getting screwed over by branding agencies. <laughs> Where do you want to begin? I think probably the biggest thing is uh, I think a lot of people aren't really aware of, of well, okay, if we think offline first before we go online, yep. right? So in the in the offline world, we brick and mortar. We've got a shingle. We've got a sign. Uh, we would put ads in things like newspapers and TV and radio, and we still do those things. Um, but we put ourselves out there. We would generate customers. Customers would refer other customers to us. And we know that we would, you know, the reason why we're spending money on advertising or promotion is because we want to attract and engage new customers. So so everybody in the world kind of got that concept. 20 years ago, the internet comes along. Uh, there's some very clever people that started the e-commerce game. Uh, and so there are companies in the last 12 years that evolved to be the largest companies in the world are uh, e-com based companies, right? Uh, and there's a lot of uh, uh, a lot of companies over that last 12 years that built their entire business model online, uh, did all their marketing online. And so more and more we're getting, you know, this is the most powerful computer in the world, yeah. right? Um, so more and more uh, the visibility of what's what we're capable of. So to put online marketing and offline marketing into perspective, um, a year ago, uh, only 14%, even though uh, e-commerce had been going pretty much for 15 years, uh, in that 15-year period, e-commerce only accounted for about 14% of all sales made in general. So 14% of anything bought was bought online. Huh. 86% was still bought face-to-face in a shop, right? So we're still going wow. out there face-to-face, 86%. Now, yeah. COVID comes along yeah. and it's gone from 14% to 21%. So in a year... It's done what is expected it to do over three years. So it's sped up that process. So what happened uh, when COVID hit was uh, a couple of things occurred. Um, the, the face or the game of how we engage our customers was exacerbated, right? All of a sudden we went into lockdown. People, you know, were hanging on Facebook and TikTok and Twitter. You know, Twitter had a resurgence. So like Twitter's turned into a very Twitter's robust... Twitter's still a thing? Twitter's a thing, right? It is? So... Here's the thing. I There's, think the things that yeah. we could stream to Twitter, but I, I yeah. don't So if we look at marketing just from a thing, right, from a point of view of uh, something that we have to do in business, um, what we did offline, we now do online. So the cornerstone of our marketing is how we represent ourselves online. The shop front window is our website, is yep. a page where somebody recognizes a product. Can I challenge you on the website concept? Yep. Um what type of business needs to have a website versus like ne- like absolutely needs to versus you can get away with social profiles and say landing pages mm-hmm. or 
What's your opinion on that? Um, you don't really, you don't need a website, but you do website. need a, you, you don't need a website, you, but you do need, uh, there needs to be a visible access point. Yeah. So you do, I think if you don't own your own domain, that's a mistake. Ooh. I think if you don't own your own name domain, like if yeah. you're, if you know, if, you know, if you've got Jade, if you've got Jade Green, so, you know, whoever Jade Green is, yeah. if there is another Jade Green, right? Apparently, um, they're, yeah. so I can't, like, my ex-husband wanted me to buy jadegreen.com. Yeah years ago and I'm yeah. like I feel like a wanker mm-hmm. and so I didn't do it mm-hmm. and then a few years ago I was teaching personal branding mm-hmm. I was like I really should own my name mm-hmm. and there was a back order like no one no one was using it mm-hmm. and then when I finally wanted I got jgreen.com.au mm-hmm. no problems mm-hmm. and then I went to do it and I looked up jgreen.com and it was some weed seller in yeah. California yeah and then I tried to get it and they were like oh five grand mm-hmm. and back then I wasn't using my mm-hmm. name as a brand and I was like oh Nah, five grand, not worth it. Why didn't I do it? Yep. And now there's an, a consulting firm and she's a blonde girl. Like, <laughs> <laughs> kind of looks like me um, out of California. Yep. So she's gone, apparently gone from selling weed uh, to doing so actual do. consulting. Yep. Uh, I'm not sure what the link there is now. So, but. yeah. So if you can't get your own name, if you can get yourself a, a .co or a .io or something other than uh, for what your own name. What is the um, so IO is just a recognition. Most companies who are software, yeah, like SaaS-based companies, yeah. yeah, they use IO Info? as a designator, yeah, right? Okay. Um, but they're, uh, but it's not mainstream. So .co is very popular. Yeah. Obviously, the .com is the number one thing you want to be owning. Yeah. If you can get your name .com, yeah. .com .au, you got right. Yeah. So you got you got. And then I've thing. got .co. I've got .dot. NZ, UK, bloody. So there's this cool website and it's called noem.com. So it's no? K N O E M. Noem, Noem. Oh, Noem. K N O W E M. Noem, right? Yep. So noem.com. So if you go to noem.com, what you can do is you can put your name in there mm-hmm. and you press search and it is going to show you where you've got hundred over 200 profiles uh, that are available to you under your name. So Facebook, right. Twitter, and 200 oh. other postings, right? So what you can do is you can build a brand by paying Noam yep. a fee. Uh, I think a package, like a 25 pack is like $69. Yep. So you put your image, your descriptions, videos, and whatever you do, everything. and then you then you pay, and then that'll distribute and Stop set up accounts it. everywhere. It's pretty cool. So it creates a digital footprint so from going, an SEO. Oh, shit, quick, I've got to get my Instagram handle and my Facebook handle. You and do like it in one place. Before. However, however, other people have taken your name. Like you don't, you, you'll find very quickly when you do a yeah. search that there are certain platforms like Facebook or stuff like that where somebody's got already registered that domain yeah. or registered that name so you can't use the same name right yeah. so you might have to go the jade green or yeah. jade green author or jade green speaker or and create a, i'll start the other day i've got jadegreen.club yeah. there you go on clubhouse yep perfect so I, I think you should own your own domain if you yeah. can't own your domain look for a variation of it if you How find you somebody hyphens? uh not searchable not searchable, oh. but it, t- it tends to mess with SEO. Yep. So you better um, having a different dot something yeah. rather than a jade hyphen green dot yeah, com. Exactly. Better off having jgreen dot yeah. com. Well, nobody's going to type jade hyphen green. They're just going yeah. to jade green. So if you want to outperform the jade green consultant mm-hmm. and you be found instead of her, then you want to create. You want to make sure that you're branding your name in your Instagram, yeah. in your YouTube, in yeah. your Facebook. And then other people linking to your site so that you're, you'll dominate with your name. Yeah. 
technical stuff, talk to an SEO person. How do you dominate with your brand online? Mm -hmm. Syndication is key. Obviously, the more content you put out, the more syndication you have, the more your name is going to show up, the more you'll own. You want to own the first five or six pages of Google. Yeah. So if you've got a company or a business, so for example, uh, we, we, uh, we own commercial painting uh, uh, for every city in Australia. So I registered commercial painters Brisbane, commercial painters Sydney, commercial yep. painters Gold Coast, surface power, like key cities. Yeah. And then we basically built out uh, multiple brands or multiple platforms for each of those uh, domains. Wow. And then we then became a booking service for commercial painters in Australia because no commercial painter could actually use yeah, the domain, yeah. right? So we would say, well, we so we would run ads. We yep. would run ads and we'd say, great, this is a while ago. This is what we call domaining. So we'd run some advertising and we'd say, great, well, commercial painting uh, quotes, right? So we would get all the quotes. Well, we're not commercial painters. So we'd go to a commercial painter and say, listen, how much, if you had this job, what would your quote be? And then we would ask, of that quote, how much would you give us if you win the job? If we get it, yeah. Right? So if we give you this opportunity, you win the job under agreement, what would you pay for us for that job? And so numbers like, we'll give you 10% or we'll give you 15%. Well, the lead might have only cost us 10 bucks, but we could get $15,000 out of giving the job to somebody else. So we literally brokered Broke deals for commercial yeah. painting uh, because we knew that people were searching for commercial projects. Yeah. Um, and the average commercial project is going to be like 50 grand, 200 grand, yeah. half a million dollars. And if we're negotiating a 10% finder's fee or a 15% finder's yeah. fee, that turns it into quite a substantial Isn't amount right? of money. And the very cool minimal thing, risk. Very minimal risk. Up the yeah. yeah. And the other part of that is we're able to sell that company for a lot of money because yeah. we own the brand. So the way we own the brand is we syndicated the content so that whenever you looked for it, we would like the first three pages would be that search, that search term would be yeah. us. The only way you could out, outperform us is if you paid for um, advertising. Yeah. So pay for traffic. So getting back to your first question, uh, the importance of marketing, what you have online is your shop front window. Yeah. If you, whatever you're wanting somebody to buy or search for, you need to represent that in a way. You need to make it easy for them to make a decision, right? Yeah. That's key. So if you can't, if you're not visible, you've just lost your shop yeah. front, right? And right now, that's the most powerful computer in the world. So yeah. if you're a brick and mortar business, one thing that I would highly recommend you do is actually get your Google My Business uh, registration up mm -hmm. to speed. Pay somebody to do your citations, reviews, images, videos, descriptions, and have somebody consistently post so that you show up in the map section uh, of Google. Because it's user-generated, right? It is user-generated. So, so hypothetically, if you've got you're paying someone to upload photos all the time as yeah. a user, yeah. then you're constantly raising up you're the range, you're staying range. refreshed, yeah. you're staying... Yeah. Yeah. You want to be found. If you're a local business, you want to be found in your local market. Yeah. Because 67% uh, of the traffic on that page goes to Maps. Right now, when I look for businesses that are open, I don't go look in Google anymore. I'll open up my Maps and I'll go uh, oh. restaurant, uh, yeah. uh, you know, tire service, uh, you know, in my area. Yep. And who's open? So yep. in the middle of COVID, people weren't open, right? Yeah. So uh, the people who actually registered their business on Google My Business and had citations and had their listings say, I'm open for business, I'm handling business. Yeah. Well, they're the ones that when you call them, you say, how are things going? Oh, we're flat, flat out, out because people are finding us, right? Yeah. So you've got to think in my marketing, how do my customers behave? That's what yeah. I've got to do. Does everybody need a website? No, but you're going to have to have a platform to sell what you serve to the market. How does that work? Because whenever I'm driving along, mm -hmm. I'll be like, hey, Siri, mm -hmm. direct me to yep. or find me a... Yep. 
So is that pulling from the Google My Business? I'm not sure I understand. So she doesn't understand, right, the question. So Siri's just jumped into our conversation here. Um, one of the things that you've got to understand about uh, how the algorithms work, right, uh, is that uh, our voice command is becoming very important. So even thinking, like if you're thinking about how to search engine optimize my business, one of the things you want to do is what you're doing, you're driving and saying, yep. uh, um, you know, uh, post office call and gather. Yeah. Find Siri. Hey, you know, I don't want to. Yeah, uh, don't Siri. Make her. <laughs> uh, but you know, hey Siri, what's the number? Of, you know, can you call the post office and call the gather? Yeah. Right? And Siri goes, I'll find that number for you. So now you've got to think of voice commands as well as search yeah. commands or what people are typing in because people are just asking the question. Yeah. Right? Alexa are doing this. Everything's doing this, right? So voice search is becoming more and more dominant. But talking from a marketing point of view, you've got to be found. You've got, you know, if you're selling a service, how does somebody engage with that service? So my question, right. if someone's starting launching a new product yep. or they're launching a new business and yep. they're picking a name. Yep. Would you, before you commit to the name and go register it, would mm -hmm. you check and see what handles are available for like your Facebook, your Instagrams, your your things? If, if you're going to do long-term, if you're building a product out long-term and you're going to build something that it's established, you're going to have to do the homework on the naming of the company. Yeah. Uh, it's much easier. So, uh, so naming conventions, are uh, that's a huge topic, right? But uh, one thing you want to be mindful of is um, use hybrid words. Uh, think short, punchy words, right? Yeah. Think, you know, like if you forget, if, and I'm going to use uh, silly things like hotornot.com, right? Now that could be anything. That could yeah. be anything, right? Most would probably think that that would be related to, you know, something female related and yeah. hotornot.com, right? So it'll be, uh, you know, so, so. I thought chili sauce. Chili sauce, right? <laughs> yeah, chili sauce, <laughs> right. So, or hotornot.com. But, uh, you want to find, you can use acronyms, you can use, you can mash words together. Yeah. Look at Uber, right? Now, Uber in German is super, right? It's uber yeah. good, right? Um, uh, and they, so they used a German dialect in a name that's now become yeah. a vernacular in the English language, yeah. right? So, you know, Google, I mean, where'd that come from, right? So they, all they did when they looked at Google is it was just a mashup of words. Yeah. What were we doing? Oh, we're just Googling around. We're Googling, right? And yeah. all of a sudden Google became the thing, right? Uh, Facebook was the Facebook, right? Yeah. The, and then all of a sudden, well, it's just Facebook, right? Um, uh, so names are really important. If you want to build something that's got a significant brand, uh, you're going to want to own the domain. You want to own, you want to own the .coms and you want to own all the variants to protect your intellectual property. Um, uh, you want to be mindful that somebody hasn't registered trademark for an image or a styling or a color because there are going to be issues around trademarking. Yeah. Uh, those are things that are important because you've got to protect your intellectual property. It's becoming more important to do that because we are such a dispersed uh, uh, world on the internet. Mm. Um, so, you know, the question is how important is this? If, if you're kind of just starting out, for me, it's almost like validation, right? If I can get this going, Right when a company I started, uh, we were originally, uh, um, you know, we, we were the name was like Breakthrough Physical Therapy Marketing. It was a long-winded name. Then it became BPTM, right acronym, and then it became just Breakthrough. Now we don't own, we didn't own Breakthrough.com, right? We couldn't get yeah. it, but the company was called Breakthrough. Although yeah. the company's registration is BPTM, yeah. right? So. Uh, the branding, if you're, if you're looking long-term, you want to own the domain. Some people will pay a lot of money to own that domain. Yeah. Um, and so, and it's worth it because it's yours. Once you own it and you've got that domain, you've got traffic, you've got, uh, you can create a brand, you can direct people to that identity, right? Mm -hmm. So is a name important? Absolutely. 
um, ask any major brand on the planet if their name's important, right? Um, uh, uh, people spend too much time trying to figure this out. I think you can overdo it. I think get the product out, call it what it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a company that I worked with and so what do you do? Well, we do search engine optimization. Okay, well, you can't call yourself search engine optimization, but what it, what's the outcome of what you do? Well, we essentially convert traffic. Great, traffic converters, right? Now there was a company called Traffic Converters. So just call yourself Traffic Convert, right? Well, there's another company called Traffic Convert. And then, so what if we just called us converted direct traffic? Just throw another word in there, yeah. right? And so then it was like direct uh, traffic, direct, right, was the, was the thing. But the spelling of direct was left out of C, right? right. So it was direct. Right? Yeah. And so then all of a sudden it got smaller, right? So then it was taking the traffic and the D, so it's trade it, right? Yeah. And that's a new company. And people went, trade it, right? Trade it, trade it, trade it. Um, and so they call themselves trade it. Right. Now that domain's worth millions. Wow. Yeah. So if, as you evolve, you might change your branding. Companies yeah. change their logos and brandings all the time. Uh, you can get lucky, all right? You can get lucky with a name. There's an endless supply of branding names for you. So the question is, what am I going to do with this? Am I going to turn into something? Is it going to be an asset? Is it going to be saleable? Is it going to be a long-term thing? That's going to determine how much energy you place on the importance of that brand. Because yeah. branding right now is everything. Right now, if you talk to anybody on the planet, if they're not saying branding, 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 because that's what we need to do, and that's what we need to do in the middle of the pandemic, is when we get into a situation where we have recessionary periods, the companies that last the longest are the ones that spend the most money marketing their brand. Because people that's see that. That's why you that. paid $30,000 for a bee. <laughs> exactly. That's why we paid thirty grand for a bee. <laughs> but, but, the, but, the, but this is what people do. Most, most companies retract marketing yep. in, in depressive uh, markets. But if you look at the major brands or if you look at like luxury brands, mm. they actually spend yeah, up, right? Because yeah. they know what they're doing is they're capturing, you know, when the market turns, right, the competition's gone yeah. and they're still standing, right? Yeah. So the market turns to them. Every, it happens in every major recessionary period. Uh, I'm kind of digressing from the, from the first question of marketing, why it's important, but, but um, we should be branding. Uh, you know, video has become very powerful. Audio has become very powerful. Mm. Voice. Uh, you know, so when you're talking about that, then yeah. say with uh, audio and imagery, what's the importance of literally watermarking or branding your stuff that's going out, especially if it's getting reshared or yeah. what's if, your thoughts well, on that? from a branding point of view, if you're watermarking, fantastic. That, that there's a level of professional production in that. People recognise the brand. There's you know uh, by all means, uh, you know, is it essential and important? Uh, no, but it helps, right? It does help. So if you've got a watermark in your video, absolutely. That's a technical thing that somebody can put on every video that you do. There's software right now, that apps that are really cheap right now uh, that can do it all for yeah. you. Um, but yeah, what do I think about it? Yeah, anytime you can put your iconic uh, identity out there or recognition of who you are, I would do that. Um, uh, but again, where is your market? So right now, uh, the question I'm often asking people is if we were to look at your digital footprint, what does that look like? And where are people coming from? And how are you engaging your market? Because do you know where they're hanging out and are you in the right place? You could be spending all your time in Facebook, but all your people are on Instagram, not in Facebook. Yep. You could be spending all your time on Instagram and they might be on YouTube. And this right? is where we see a lot of people come unstuck because they go where they go. So yeah. they're yeah. like, oh, but I, I hate Instagram. It's like, well, that's great if you hate it, but if your customer <laughs> loves it, yep. you got to learn to love it. Yeah. Like I... I don't love it, Yeah, but it's where I've got to be. You need to be visible where your market is, so you need to know where they are. 
um, and you need to be cross-platform. And, and you want to own your brand or your domain no across every every yeah. distribution channel, right? There are 230 distribution channels that we communicate with online, 230. The main ones, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, yeah. LinkedIn, um, uh, Twitter, uh, uh, we've got that capability. TikTok now becoming very, very important and prominent um, yeah. uh, for branding. Uh, and, you know, the advertising platform. TikTok advertising is I, super, super I big. I can't believe that I said yeah. this to my team this week. Mm-hmm. Kay is currently in the middle of creating me a TikTok account. She's yeah. like, oh, my God, I finally, because I've been like, I'm never getting on TikTok. Yeah. I haven't been on the platform. Yeah. My team wanted to make reels for Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, they're like, get TikTok. And I'm like, no. So they said, we'll bring the TikTok. So they bring the TikTok. They record the, yeah. the reels in TikTok, remove yeah. the watermark, use it. But I've actually been convinced, thanks to um, Greg Allen and Mitch Van from uh, Electrician Success Academy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that we know, uh, that they just did so well with their branding from TikTok that I was like, mm-hmm. oh, fuck it. It's another platform. And this is the thing that yeah. you've got all these platforms and you've got to manage your communication on those platforms mm-hmm. as well. So, you know, to get it, you know, just posting stuff isn't enough. Yeah. You've got to have the, the strategy of engagement. You've got to, what is the journey of a customer, right? Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I've found is, uh, especially with buying products, uh, uh, more and more people are still searching to get validation that your product or service is the right product. So they're going to look at your reviews. They're going to look at your videos. They're going to look at, they're going to, they want to see what's going on. They want to get to know you. Like they really do want to get to know that, okay, yeah, you're the right person for uh, the service. So one of the things that's occurred because of the internet, uh, back in 2006, Google did a study. uh, There was a group called Zmot. It was called the Zero Moment of Truth. So what the zero moment of truth was, was when somebody put their credit card to purchase a product. You can actually go and check the zero moment of truth videos on YouTube Mm -hmm. uh, about them talking about this. And they found back in 2006 that for somebody to put their credit card in to purchase a product, they only needed five frames of reference. So five frames of reference might be a referral from a friend. Another frame of reference might be a review, uh, seeing review, Uh, maybe a video, maybe looking at a website. uh, maybe asking some friends for some recommendations, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you had five frames of reference and you felt, okay, right product, right time, I'm going to buy it. So here we are and uh, we're now, what, 2021? We're in just gone March. We're now April tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> uh, how fast we've gone. So here we are in 2021. Zero moment of truth. We had five frames of reference back in 2006. Today, 32 frames of reference before we make a purchase. We've become so reliant on, we will watch the same video three or four times, the same review on the same product, or we would watch reviews from multiple people talking about exactly the same product before we purchase the product, or we'll read blogs about it, or we'll look at uh, uh, posts about, we'll look at the uh, information from the company. Wow. So before we make a major purchasing decision, now I've fallen victim to this uh, because when I went and bought a SUP, my SUP, Right, I had to do my research. I did yeah. my homework. So what did I do? I looked at you know how how do you choose a sup? Right, if you're just going to start supping, now yeah. what's the difference between a sup that is on still water and a sup that you can surf on? What's the difference between a sup that you can go uh, out in the ocean on? Uh, ocean downwinding. What's the difference between a sup that you can go down a river in or kayak in or canoe on? What's a sup where you can go fishing off? So there's all these variations of sups, right? So you you know then you talked about an inflatable sup as opposed to yeah. a hardboard sup. What are the benefits, right, uh, of, of the SUP? So what do you do? You watch videos and reviews of all the manufacturers of the product to make sure, okay, well, how much should I pay for one of these things? Yeah. 
you know, uh, they're a cheap product out there, uh, but I don't want to buy a cheap product. I, you know, I know I've been burnt by buying inexpensive things in the past. I want to get this one right. So what I do. So it took me six weeks to buy a sup, right? Wow. Now, after I'd done my research, I found a sup shop and I went to a few, but there was one guy and he was friendly enough to say, okay, well, look, you know, let's just figure out what you want and you can play with this stuff. I'll give you a board. You can knock yourself out come back and then you can choose. You, you get at least to get a feel for this thing. So it was like the puppy dog clothes, right? But get to get to him, I'd probably watched and read 15, 16 different things. And even yeah. when I got to him, when I had the sup, I was still asking questions about what's the right sup? What's the right paddle? Uh, you know, what happens if I buy the wrong sup, right? Like what, you know, if I, if I, if I purchase it, I don't like it. Like I think I've got the right one. But, like, I can't take it back. I've bruised it. I've banged it up. On, yeah. You know, I have to go and buy another one, right? So all these questions. But in the end, because I was interested and curious, and I started watching, that's how I found Glide, right? Start watching sup movies and watching people paddling out, you know, 50 miles out in the ocean, catching waves, massive waves on subs, right? So uh, eventually um, ended up buying um, after that frame of reference. Now, the scary part of that is, it means uh, when we've got when we've gone to multiple frames of reference, we've actually stopped trusting ourselves. This is a dangerous yeah. thing. We're externally referencing, and we're not trusting our own yep. intu intuition instincts. So, my question to people is: If you need multiple frames of reference, um, what do they need to interact with? What's the buyer's journey? Like, if you sat down, the fastest way to do this: sit down with your top six customers, right, and ask some questions like: When you thought about purchasing or buying our thing. What were you thinking of? What made you start looking? When you started looking, what were you looking for? What were you, what were you uh, absorbing? How much did you look? Uh, how did you get sure about what you wanted to buy? Then what happened just before you decided to make the purchase? And then what happened, well, how did you feel when you made the purchase? And then how did you feel when you got the product or the service? How did you feel then? And then what was the next thing that you bought yeah. uh, straight after that purchase? Now, if you understand that journey and if you have half a dozen conversations. What that's going to tell you is exactly why people buy what you figure, do. Figure out what to be after. Exactly. Like, to be figure after. out what to be after. But <laughs> but when you ask this question, uh, how did you feel about the process, right? When you ask, uh, how did you feel? About, did you think you took too long to get there, right? Like once you got it uh, and you got it done, you think, oh, why didn't I do this? You know, when I got my sup, I thought, God, I could have bought this like six weeks ago, Right. Um, I didn't resent the fact that I bought it, but, I, but in my head, I was like, I invested another six weeks in a process yeah. when I could have been out just there six weeks earlier and just got it done. So if we understand the buyer's journey, right? And so for me, like I'm going to use SUP as an example. So what were my things? YouTube, websites, reviews, uh, um, influencers, brands, right? I started looking yeah. for brands of SUPs. I started looking at all these sorts of things. So if I was selling SUPs, I'd make sure my brand is visible. I'd make sure I'd have videos about my product. Yeah. I'd make sure I'd have uh, educationals. I'd make sure I'd give them direction, uh, how to buy one of these things, what you need to know, frequently asked questions. Yeah. Uh, how do we make it easy for you? What can I do to make it easy for you to buy? If I do those things, and then I, uh, so if I'm thinking the platforms I used, Facebook, YouTube, uh, what else did I do? It was Google, so Google. Um, and then I started looking at uh, sites that were dedicated to SUPS. Yeah. So blogs and influencers and stuff like that. Um, and so, so if I know that that's the journey, if I place my brand in the same places where yeah. uh, if people are going to interact with me four or five times, I've got a much better chance of capturing that customer and speeding up the sales cycle than if I'm just picking one channel. Yeah. Right? And that so can be about like 
their interests as well. So if you mm-hmm. if you went down the line of surfers and mm-hmm. you wanted to sell to surfers, mm. thinking about how can you be get your brand aligned in that frame of yeah. reference. So yeah. if they're looking at surfing videos on mm-hmm. YouTube, how else can you be in there? Like, mm-hmm. do you need to be commenting? Do like how do you show up where they're mm-hmm. playing yeah. to get in the frame of reference? And if you look at associated products, so you think, okay, you know, a sup, it's a board, right? Well, the next thing you need is your weapon of mass propulsion, which is that paddle, right? So, but then there's so many different paddles, right, yeah. to choose from. Uh, you know, super light carbon, wide, thin, Tahitian bends, there's all these things you've got to know, right? Uh, lots of cool stuff, right? But you can really get into this. And, but you're, as you, the more you learn about the type of product you want to go, you're probably willing to invest more. Because you've invested more time trying to understand, you're actually leaning towards the value of something. You're, you're making value judgments. So you're probably willing to invest that a little bit more because you know that what you're getting for your money in that, in that regard as well. So a couple of things with online marketing. Uh, digital footprint, where, where are you visible? Um, are you consistent with your branding across multiple platforms? This one I think is a really huge one. Mm-hmm. And the, like I said, when I used to teach personal branding, mm-hmm. the consistency was a big thing because of six human needs. And that's mm-hmm. why I stopped you before. I was like, stop, we need to talk about this. Because it breaks trust, I mm-hmm. think. If someone researches you on Facebook and then say Instagram or your website and there's a completely different brand profile, the values mm-hmm. don't look designed, the, the mm-hmm even the fonts and colors and everything, yep. it may not even be super obvious, but for some reason your brain goes, oh, something's not right there. Or it's not saying, I don't feel safe because there's a lack of consistency. You're diluting your message by doing that. It's, it, this is something that's a bit more strategic in your thinking. So we, we're talking about the idea of getting a color palette, right? Mm. People are like, oh, what's a color palette, right? Well, color palette are the regular colors that you use in your yep. brand and how your logo looks, where sure it gets that. published and printed, all that sort of stuff. So those are the sorts of things that are really, um, you know, from a branding, from a consistency point of view, if you have your colors, your chosen five or six colors, then that's what that's how you demonstrate uh, a likeness for what you are and what you do, right? Um, your logo, right, uh, also has to be consistent with the colors that you choose as well. And if you're gonna choose a logo, you wanna choose a logo that actually works on multiple backgrounds. Most people get really crazy with design and color and they make their logos very complex. But look at the logos that are the most iconic logos in the world. Oh, and it's just a name. Simple. Just a word. Yeah. Uh, uh, in capitals, like think Jaguar, Mercedes-Benz, BMW. Like yeah. they haven't got flashy graphic design yeah. logo. Simple. It's just a very clean a simple image. And the other cool thing is I could stand 20 feet away and see a BMW logo and know exactly what it oh, is. 100%. Apple, I know exactly what it is, yep. right? I've got the icon. It's the, it's a consistent brand, right? So, um, visual so yeah. on the screen. So, so branding super, super important. Color palette super important because it, it creates a consistency. It creates uh, a trust in, in the fact mm-hmm. that the, you have... You know, uh, I can I can trust the brand, right? Uh, they've got uh, I can identify with the brand. I can identify with the colors because colors are really important as well. Um, they also have to match your audience and, and your and world if you're looking you're to the, exactly. Yeah. So there's a lot of woo woo in 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 the in the emotional side of the branding and the colors that you choose, but it is really important. For small businesses, not so much. But if you're trying to establish as you grow, it will start to become more and more important. And the cool thing is that when you start looking at your company from a branding perspective or the fact that you're choosing colors that emulate uh, the feel or uh, or how you represent yourself, you actually lift your 
idea of the value of your company as well. Yeah. So your perception, the people you work with, uh, with, you all of a sudden become an owner of the brand. Yeah. But the cool thing is, is that your customer also becomes a custodian of your brand, yeah. right? So if they like your brand, they're going to share your brand. They're going to talk about you. They're going to look at what you're doing. Um, I remember working with a company that was a uh, boring, boring company. So they're a manufacturer of screws and nuts and bolts and all that sort of stuff. Engineering-based, really stodgy, you know, traditional type of business, manufacturing business. Uh, and nuts and bolts are not the most sexiest things in the world, right? However, uh, they went away from the old schematic dodgy, you know, uh, here's a nut, right? Uh, or here's a screw. We yeah. do nuts and screws, right? Um, and they went away from that and they went, okay, if we were to set ourselves apart from every other nut and bolt company in the world um, and we wanted to look different, but we wanted to be recognizable, right? Mm. How would we present ourselves? What are the colors? What are, what are the, what's the colors we would choose? Because nuts and bolts are steel, right? Or heavy yeah. plastic or resins. So they had to pick strong, bold colors, right? Uh, uh, it's edgy. So they had to be very edgy and linear in the way they represent themselves. They still used the architecture of a nut and a bolt, but they used it in a way that it was a little bit more abstract. You could see it, but it was slightly just different. Yeah. But it was just so bold, right? It was so, like, like, like I say, if you sat 20 feet away from the BMW logo and you could see it on a business card, you'd know exactly what that company was. Well, they took the same concept with the nuts and bolts and just created that element of you could recognize that product anywhere, right? Mm. You know that company, yep. that's the product. So it's if we look at companies feature. like Caterpillar, DeWalt, Makita, Ryobi, look at the, look at the color schemes they're strong, bold, bold, easy to read. And so they took on this idea for the Nuts and Bolts Company just by rebranding and just by having that, uh, uh, launching that brand, they saw a 15% increase in sales purely because they all of a sudden became a company that had care in how they represented themselves. Yeah. They positioned their product as a premium product in the market. The prices didn't change, but the feeling of the product changed. Yeah. And so all of a sudden people wanted to display the product. People wanted to, like they were knocking off major brands because this just looks so good and it was so visible and your eyes were always drawn to this brand. Well, even so, if you think about it, like a simple thing like that, if, you're in, if they sell in Bunnings, yeah. if you have brand recognition, you mm -hmm. can just be scanning and you don't even see the others because you're like, oh, yep, that's, yep. I'm looking for that yep. To, yep. to pull it off the shelf. That's the other thing with branding is everything you're talking about consistency. So if, I'm going to use Ryobi as an example. Um, uh, their system, it's really funny. Everybody's copied the Ryobi system. Battery-powered power tools, yep. right? Just snap it in. One battery, 100 tools, right? Great marketing, perfect marketing. Everybody else, Makita, all the other brands, mm -hmm. one battery, 100 tools, right? However, yep. Ryobi have been marketing this brand and this concept before others came to the market because they saw the writing on the wall. Well, you know, why would you use electricity when you just use rechargeable batteries, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, and so you would get, you know, you're more portable. Uh, you know, it, it added a whole different flavor, right? But people who don't normally buy power tools now buy power tools because of the snap-in. <laughs> oh, I've got the hedge trimmer, the the, the drill. So they've, they've built their brand where now you're buying all the range, yeah. right? So they know... The more they can get customers to buy, the more value per customer. Um, and if they can identify with a brand, then they want their whole tool shed full of Ryobi yep. or full of well, Makita. you don't want to have a whole bunch of, yeah. You don't you, want to have mismatch. You've, you've got right? to be either, you're either a Makita. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or a Ryobi or whatever, right? Or Bosch, right? You look yeah. at all these bold brands. But 
very visible, very identifiable. Um, uh, the colors are, you know, like they stand out. Uh, they, 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 their logos are iconic. Even in their advertising, it's all strong, bold, because what do you want your tools to be? Reliable, strong, strong you know? Yeah. Who are the people who use tools? Strong people, right? Yeah. It's a masculine thing. So you don't, you want a masculine image. So all of these things in branding, you need to take into consideration. Who's your audience? How do they feel about what you do? Who are you appealing to? How does that appeal to them? Uh, what, are, what are they gonna be attracted to? If you ask your customers why they buy and what journey they took and infuse your ideas in that journey so they can visibly see that through all your marketing, yeah. all, your, all your printing, your online, your website, your images on your Instagrams or whatever you're using in marketing. Um, uh, that's gonna go a long way to getting recognized and being seen. And that's a really big thing. Most people, you need right now, the number one thing you gotta be is you gotta be visible online. Yeah. If you're invisible, if you're not, and, and right now we haven't got a choice. If you're not spending money on advertising, it costs you a lot of money to organically grow your business online. Yeah. Advertising's faster. The challenge with advertising is you've got to find a converting offer. Yeah. The only thing you need to be concerned with is where somebody engages in that buying process. So, so if you're advertising, you want a converting offer. That's all you need to do. You need it doesn't have to be a great converting offer. It just has to convert. How do you right? test? How do you figure out what's going to be the converting offer before you throw a box at it? Um, you've got to start off small. So if we were talking Facebook, you start off with small budgets and you would do split testing. So you would test, you might change the image. You might change a word in the copy. You might change, what you're looking for is where uh, a, a certain percentage of, we're getting technical now, but what you're looking for is a certain percentage of engagement uh, with your ad where yep. people are clicking through uh, and following the buying process. With advertising, the number one number that you want to be thinking about is not how much it costs you to get somebody to click, what you want to know is how many clicks do you need to make a sale? sale. And then how much does that cost to get the sale? So for example, if I was in the engineering world and I knew that an average engineering job was like $50,000, my question to me is how much of that $50,000 would I be willing to spend to buy that 50 grand? Yeah. Now, if somebody said to me, well, 50 grand, I'd spend $5,000. Well, to make $500,000, you would invest $50,000, right? Uh, A $50,000 ad budget and marketing budget is a pretty good budget, right? Um, Whereas, and that's the other thing is a lot of people don't spend enough, Mm -hmm. right? So you want to get to this idea of rather than how much am I paying per appointment or how much am I paying per click, I need to know how much I'm paying for a sale. If I know that number, then I can scale. If I know it costs me $1,000 to buy, to have somebody give me 10 grand, right, or 20 grand, then I'm gonna print $1,000 checks, right? Because every time I print a thousand bucks, I make 20 grand. That's how you scale up. That's how you end up with what we call an unlimited budget in advertising and marketing. But getting back to the advertising point, if you're not advertising right now, you're invisible. That first four slots in Google, they're all ads, that's paid traffic. The last four slots on that page, paid traffic. There are only three organic searches on Google. Right, the, you've got the maps, you've got three more. Number one ranking is position number five. That's the number one ranking on Google, right? Wow. So you've got to pay for it. If you want to be visible, you've got to pay for it. And if you're not paying for it directly in advertising, you're going to be paying for it somewhere else. You have to hire somebody to manage your social media. You're not going to do that. And that's the other thing is, it's not your thing. You don't want, as a business owner, I don't want to learn how to do Facebook ads, right? It's a, it's a nightmare because it changes all the time. Yeah. So I would you want to hire somebody who knows what they're doing, who's got it, who who can uh, show you or demonstrate to you. What's your the best outcomes. advice on hiring? Because I think this is like 
So many people say they've been burnt. Yep. This is where they get scared about throwing the dollars at something yep. because the risk is kind of like gambling. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you figure out who to give your money to? Okay, so that's a really good question. So my question is, have they done it before? Mm-hmm. Can they prove the concept? Right. Um, the reason why a lot of Facebook, what, the reason why advertising in general fails is not because the ads don't work or not because the leads are bad. It's more about the strategy, right? Why, what do you want them to do? And does that match up with the buying process? So I'll give you an example. Uh, um, I was working with a, an agency, they had a roofing client. The roofing client was a big company and they thought we've got to come up with a hook. So the roofing company said, you know what? We'll offer in our ads a $250 gutter clean. So we'll advertise $250 free gutter clean uh, when you come and you can get $250 from us from a gutter clean. So, and they were wondering, they, were getting, they, were, they weren't actually getting any leads. They were spending thousands and thousands of dollars getting lots of clicks, but no leads were coming out of it. And I said, well, the strategy's wrong. And they went, what do you mean? Well, when you've got a problem with your roof, are you looking to get your gutters cleaned? Or are you looking for somebody who can help you with the roof, right? To repair the roof. So where's the roof repair incentive? Or where's the, let's save you $5,000 on replacing your roof and refurbish the roof, right? Let's give you five grand towards refurbishing your roof. There's an offer. Relevant, right? If I'm if I'm thinking yeah. I've either got to replace or refurbish. It's currently leaking water on my head when I'm sleeping. Yeah. I'm not thinking about my gutters. I'm not thinking my gutters, right? So the strategy is wrong. And the, yeah. the reason why the campaigns don't work or the reason why people feel like they're burnt is this it's a twofold problem. One, the person who's running the ad campaign hasn't really thought through the strategy, hasn't sat down, understood the buyer's journey and mapped out how what are we advertising and what happens after they click, right? So strategies first. You've got to have a converting offer, right? So it has to convert into an action, an action that's relevant to sale. The third thing is, and this is probably the most critical part of all of advertising, is what happens after they inquire. When they make an inquiry, how quickly are they called? How quickly are they managed? Most people uh, will say things like, uh, and this happens a lot. So let's say we're picking the chiropractic space. They They do lots of advertising. They change advertisers all the time because they say all ads suck. Right? They're terrible, right? All the leads are terrible, right? So then you start asking questions. Or I'll give you a better example as a, a air conditioning company. 200 leads, no sales. So there were 200 people that clicked on the ad, went through, they collected the data, had the phone numbers, they didn't make a single sale, right? So now you would think that was a successful campaign from a click-through point of view or from yeah. a lead point lead of view. Campaign. But the quality of the lead, questionable, right? Well, it really didn't have anything to do with the quality of the lead because they were coming in saying, I need air conditioning. Right, I need I need help with air conditioning. I need a quote. That's what they're asking for. That was the offer. Yep. So they're clicking on. I need a quote for air conditioning. The problem was is the company would either not call the people on the from the ad, or they might call two or three days later. Too late. Too late. Somebody else will record them. So and this person said the advertising doesn't work. Right. So what we did yeah. was I, I recommended to my client. I said, well, what you got to do is you got to call these leads. You got to call them all. So they didn't get to call two hundred, and they called ninety of them. Now, the average air conditioning sale is twelve dollars to $15,000. So they called 90 leads. 30 of the 90 people they called had bought their air conditioning unit somewhere else. They actually bought, right? So they spent twelve dollars to $15,000 in air conditioning, 30 of them. So that's that's $450,000. $450,000 worth of sales from an ad campaign that generated two leads, 200 leads that the company that ran the ad didn't get. Somebody else got them. So that was the first thing, right? Then there's a whole bunch of people who said, nobody ever called us. Um, so 
you know, uh, uh, we forgot all about it. Um, not really important right now, right? A whole bunch of people said that. It was important when it was really hot, but now it's cold. Now it's now cold, right? So here's the thing. It's Melbourne. It was really hot yesterday. 15 of the 90 people that were called back, and this is like weeks after the lead had asked the inquiry. 15 people, they asked the question, well, do you still need an air conditioning unit? Like, are you still interested? And they were, well, yeah, we still need the quote. We still need to do it. We just didn't get around to do anything about it. So it's 15 leads. So I said, now, multiply, if it, worst case scenario, they close half of them, right? Worst case scenario, they close half of them. So seven deals. So that's going to be, what's that, 15 times seven? It's like nearly $100,000, right? $100,000 in sales just sitting there waiting where people have gone, well, nobody got back to us and we kind of still need an air conditioner. <laughs> now, 30 people bought from somewhere else. So now here's the thing. We only called 90. There were 200 yeah. leads. Yeah. So there could have been another 15, double the amount of revenue, just off the old leads. Now, here's a cool thing. They, that would have more than given them 10x on their return investment on their advertising. Picking up those leads that are still waiting, they would still get 10 times what they paid for the advertising. The advertising campaigns were successful, but the strategy was wrong. Yeah. The optimization of the sales process was wrong. So the biggest problem I see with lead generation and why people get caught up in the agency, it's always the agency's fault, they give me bad leads. I'm always asking, what happened to the lead? Think, put yourself in the customer's shoe. You're inquiring about a product. Nobody calls you. So what do you do? You keep searching, right, until you find a product. So you go to the next person, the next person. Before you know it, and I'll give you a classic example of this, my father-in-law needed to paint his home in the middle of in the middle of pandemic, right? So, and he thought, well, I don't have to speak to the guy. I don't have to shake hands with him. He can come to the house. I can wave at him from the door and he can just go and paint my house, right? So he went to Google and he rang companies on Google to say, look, I need my house painted. Will you come and paint my house? I know the pandemic's on. You know, I know you keep safe. I want to keep safe. If I can wave to you at the door, I can transfer the money electronically on the, you know, send me an invoice and I'll pay you the deposit or whatever you want, and but can you come and paint my house, right? So that's a sale, right? So and a, and a house painting job is like 25 grand. So he rang four companies, right? And one person says, oh, look, you know, we're, you know, pandemic and blah, blah. Uh, we can do the job, but we'll do it when we can come out of lockdown. Okay, great. Well, I want the house painted now, not later, right? Um, uh, next person closed, out of business. Next person uh, not open, right? Uh, uh, still there, but not open, not not accepting. Next person had to leave a message, never got back, right? Next person, same thing. Finally got a person on the phone and said, "Listen, I need my house painted. Can you help me? I've been calling a whole bunch of people. I know that it's going to. I know that you've got to put a quote on this thing. We don't need to see each other. We can wave to each other from the door, right? I can electronically pay you, but can you give me a quote? I want my home painted." painted. Can you help me paint my home? And the guy went, yeah, I'll be there this afternoon at 2 o'clock. Rocks up at 2 o'clock in that afternoon, says, oh, you're looking at about $19,000 for the job. Oh, this is the materials I need to use. It's going to take me uh, three or four days to get the job done. I'm going to make sure that, you know, looking at the weather ahead, I can get this started next week for you if you want. We can be here on Monday uh, with the crew. We'll have it done within 48 hours to 72 hours. Done. And so my father-in-law went, done, right? He bought on the spot. Didn't get three quotes, Right. But here's a cool thing. They got the house painted. So this is like a week and a half later. All of a sudden, two or three phone calls. Hey, you were after a quote on a painting job? Like this is two weeks later, right? They've paid for the ads. They paid yeah. for the inquiry. They lost a $20,000 job because 
they're not optimizing their sale and they're not managing their leads. Yeah. So the biggest name of the game right now is how quickly you can actually respond. engage and respond the lead. Yeah. That's gonna determine on whether you get the sale or somebody else gets the sale. Yeah. And you wanna be the first choice. And the reason why you're advertising is to be the first choice. So if you don't honor that lead, and I've, I've been through many of these scenarios with companies where we ran campaigns and they completely obliterated the result. And then we sat down and we looked at, we unpacked that and we went, the reason why this didn't happen is they, you didn't treat the leads like they're important. You didn't value what you were creating here. And you didn't, and by the way, there's three fingers pointing back, one, one out, right? Um, by the way, if we, partly, if we hadn't have sat down with the sales team and said, hey, we're giving you people who are putting up their hands saying, I'm interested. That's a hot lead. So we need to treat that lead like a hot lead, right? If we treat them like a hot lead, we're going to make more sales. Now, they still made 250 grand, but they lost about $700,000 with opportunities. We, we did the analysis based on their conversions, based on the fact they never followed up. They nearly lost three quarters of a million dollars worth of revenue, right? And they made 250. Now, they were, they were thinking wow. 250 was awesome. Like, that was successful, yeah, like, right? Yay. This is awesome. But there was a three quarters of a million left on the table because they didn't follow through and because we didn't word up the sales team and say, these people need to be engaged immediately. You need to treat them, if you were treating them like your family member, if you treat them like gold, they're gonna feel it, you're gonna put yourself into a sales position. So the biggest problem with, with uh, lead generation or Facebook advertising or, or Google AdWords, couple of things. One, gotta have a converting offer. Number two, gotta have a follow-up system. Gotta, what's gonna happen when somebody inquires? What is the next logical step? The question is, how do you make it easy for them? Like some people, I'll give you another example of this, happens a lot. Um, they'll go, let's fill in a form, get some details, and then we'll comp call, call them back, right? Yeah. So let's say I'm um, let's say I'm a plumber. <laughs> so I'm picking trade services here on, this, on these examples. But I'm a plumber, right? I'm looking for a plumber. Am I looking to fill in a form to download something? Or am I looking for a phone number that I can just call the plumber? Yeah. Right? I'm looking for the phone number. So two ad campaigns. One ad campaign for a plumber, same plumber, uh, download the form. Here's how you save 25% you know, on your plumbing job. And uh, and this is how what you need to know about getting your plumbing done right. Choosing right, the right come plumber. Come stop the tap pissing right? water everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Second ad, just call this number. Dynamic number, recording on every phone call. So yeah. we could track, right? So... Uh, we ran the ads side by side. Now, traditionally, we would we, they would have run the, let's get some information, now we've got some data, we're gonna email market, do all that sort of stuff, build a, a relationship with these people, right? So all so we spent the money on both sides, split, split the ad campaign. So pick up the phone and call, outperformed, fill in the lead magnet by more, more than 140%, right? So wow. they got way more phone calls because what do you need when you need a plumber? You need to talk to the guy and say, I need the work done, yeah, right? Like now, I don't want to be on your mail list yeah. for the next time. I'm, I'm not interested in your lead magnet or your, your downloadable thing. I don't, I yeah. don't want to give you my email address. You can collect that on the phone, right? Yeah. But, um, but the campaign, so think about what's the behavior, what's the buying behavior, right? So if you're going to run marketing or any form of advertising, which I believe you should be doing, if you're not advertising, you're out of the game. If you're not advertising, go and Google who is in your market and they're getting your they're customers. Getting the yeah. They're getting the work. You're not, they are. And the yeah. reason they are is because they're visible. You're not. Yeah. If you're relying word of mouth, you can't survive. What's the five things, three to five, you yeah. decide, uh, things that someone needs to know before they go and spend on advertising? Obviously, they need to test that they've got a converting offer. Yeah. But what are they... 
what do they need to know? Don't advertise yourself. Get a professional to advertise for you. Get mm-hmm. somebody who is already advertising in your market, knows advertising, can prove a strategy, can prove results yep. uh, in advance. Like to say, hey, well, we've run several campaigns and these are the results and here's so, the sales. Transparency. If you were a service-based business, yep. maybe maybe you don't want to go with the same person that's already advertising your competitor because maybe conflict of interest? Uh, not worried about that, actually. Right. I would want him to be advertising for my competitor because he knows what converts, right? right. And here's the other thing. Uh, I've often been in a situation, I ran an ad, ad agency and clients would say, we want you to be exclusive. So my question, when somebody says exclusive, let's look at the territory. Mm-hmm. So this, uh, there was a company that I was working with, they're in Sydney. Now, Sydney has a population of 6 million people, yeah. right? And the volume of search for a particular product category, this was uh, a company that built sheds, right? Yep. Portable sheds. Uh, the volume of search per month was about 60,000 searches a month, right? Uh, greater Sydney area, 60,000 searches per month. Um, so my question was, they said, we want to be the only one, right? So I said, great. So you want your ad shown 24-7 and you want to buy all the traffic. Now, my question to you is, of the 30,000 people a month, you're probably going to get about 1,500 to 2,000 inquiries. Can right? you handle that? Can you, have you got a team <laughs> to handle 1,500 to 2,000 inquiries yeah. from that ad campaign? And, uh, and do you have enough people to uh, uh, sell uh, three or 400 sheds a week, yeah. right? to the marketplace. Can you do that? Because if you can do that, you can own the market. But here's the other thing, budget. So to be exclusive and to get into that situation where you're gonna dominate your competition and you wanna be seen everywhere on every category, means you're gonna outbid everybody. That's the only way you're gonna win. So you're gonna take your product category and outbid, so you're the one that's showing number one, right? And number two, and number three, and number four. And you're showing in the ad, in the, in the Google My Search space. So this company that did the sheds, I said, well, Here's what's going to cost you. It's, we, we need an ad budget of about a million and a half dollars a month. That's the ad budget. We take 8% of that. That's our fee, right? So we're going to take uh, $120,000 a month to manage that campaign because we're going to literally dominate in the market, mm-hmm. right? Um, so yeah, you need to give me a million and a half. That's $18 million a year. You got an $18 million ad budget for me? You can own the market. You're not going to handle every inquiry. And so I'm not looking for exclusivity. I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. if, it, if, it, if it's a locality, a location, yeah. um, uh, I'm my business brand. There is an offer I'm making to the market. To win, I've got to outbid my competition. That's the only thing you can do to win is you've got to outbid your ads going to be above somebody else's. But here's the thing, 18%, 90% of all traffic is in the ad space. 67% of search is in the map space. So you want to combine your strategy yeah. with paid traffic. Paid traffic, you're visible right up front. There are, and by the way, there's different ways of advertising, right? So you've got the Google Display Network. So if you're on news.com.au or you're on CNN, yeah. your ad can appear in those markets, right? Yeah. Uh, you've got YouTube how advertising. Do you get, how do you mm-hmm. get the, your ads showing and on Coastal Watch? Uh, so what you want to do is you can actually tar- in in the retargeting in in the thing. Mm-hmm. There's a pool in the glow in the uh, Google Display Network. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will display. So it's based on how much you spend yeah. and where your audience is. So there's an algorithm that selects mm-hmm. if you want to be on Coastwatch, then you're going to be you're going to look at your assimilated audiences yeah. around Coastwatch. Your keywords are going to be relatable. So uh, so media outlets or brands will have your ads if they've got ad space there, uh, and you you bid enough, you'll show up on those yeah. spots. Uh, the way to do that cheaply is to retarget. If you do retargeting, which is much cheaper, a lot more impressions, right? Mm-hmm. It means that you're creating, you know, uh, you might have 140 ad sets. Mm-hmm. That's a lot, right? It's 140 mm-hmm. images uh, or ads. 
And what you're doing is you're running them on YouTube and LinkedIn and everywhere. It's but you're just doing it on the retarget. So when somebody visits your website and they've got they've been tracked off your website, that's what retargeting is. Uh, whenever they go online and they hop on uh, news.com.au or CNN or wherever they go or Huffington Post or Coast Watch, uh, because you've been tracked, right? Because of their search criteria, you're automatically going to show up in their feeds. Yeah. If you're paying for for uh, retargeting, you will show up. That's the cheapest way to show up on can those platforms. Can you pixel platforms. them going to a social profile to, for retargeting you can, rather than a website? You can pixel them on any page they land, right? If they land on a landing page, you can pixel them. If they land on your website, you can put a pixel on there. What if they only go to your YouTube channel? You can, uh, you can, yes, you can do some targeting things out of YouTube. You can see it using your insights and stuff like that. You can yeah. see where the traffic is. So you can direct, you can actually market and advertise for traffic. But I would recommend you talk to somebody who does YouTube advertising. Yeah. Right? Per, you know, number one, go and talk to somebody who does this stuff. Mm-hmm. Understand how it works. Understand that you're responsible for what happens after somebody mm-hmm. clicks. Right? That's not you know unless you've got a system set up, uh, you want to manage the lead. Advertising is meant to do meant to create four different opportunities. Number one, uh, an action. If you're going to do advertising, have one action. Don't ask people to do five things. Don't say, yeah. go and join my Facebook page and Instagram page. Just tell them, to, if you want them to join the Facebook page, just tell them to join the Facebook page. If you want them to pick up the phone and call you, then you want to have your phone number four or five times down the page. Call this number. Yeah. Call this number. Click here, call the number, right? You want them to call. If you want them to buy. Make a number clickable yeah. within your page. As Dynamic well, so. numbers are really important. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you want them to buy something. Buy now, buy now, buy now. Multiple times on the page. One page, one action. One action. Um, that's the best way to do it. When you do advertising, you're branding, you're building a customer base, you're then being able to engage that customer base. 3% of the market will buy immediately, they're in the buying zone. 7% of the market wanna buy, they just have some questions they need to answer. Mm-hmm. It's about 10% really are in the buying zone. 30% of the people, if you don't look after them, they, if you do look after them, they will buy within three to six months. Mm-hmm. So 30% of your, your market that comes into your database through advertising, if you build a relationship with them within three to six months, because they've already been looking, they had an interest, yeah. there was a reason why they got there, right? So you're engaging them, they're going to come back to you. So you want, this is where retargeting is important. So you want yeah. to engage them coming back to you. If you're doing that, you're going to pick up more sales, right? You're building a, a customer base and relationship. The other 60% you want to inflict on your competitors, they're never going to buy, right? Or if they do, they're probably going to buy in two or three years' time, yeah. right? So over that period. So you need to own, the you need to make sure you're collecting data. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things that before the pandemic, a lot of businesses discovered they weren't collecting data and all of a sudden they've still got to be in business and they couldn't contact anybody, couldn't let anybody know that they were in business. Yeah. So, uh, so number one, be visible. Number two, be advertising. Yeah. Number three, manage the sales process, understand what's going on, how does a customer buy. If you know how a customer buys, all you're going to do is make it easy for them to do that. If they're yeah. saying, this is what I did to get there, then you say, hey, what most people do to get this thing that you're interested in, go here. Yeah. And if you do that, you're going to dramatically improve and increase the chance of buying. So, you know, marketing is a core function of your business. There are five things that you need to do. Every business, my business, your business, we need to generate leads. We need to nurture those leads into opportunities for sales. We need to be able to convert them effectively, help them to convert. We need to then deliver. And unfortunately, now we have to deliver a great or an outstanding result. We can't deliver an average result because they'll go somewhere else. And then we need to do one thing which is critical is we need to retain them, we need to resell them, and we need to upsell them. And that's this where the money is. Yeah, and this is what we were talking about earlier, right? 
So what is the lifetime value of your customer? Yep. And what else can you sell to them? Because it's so hard to get those leads. It's so hard to mm. get them in the first place. Oh, they're expensive. What, what can you do to, to, to maximize? Engage, ask questions, provide value, educate, inform, always make an offer, right? You want to always be offering. If you're not offering, you, you know, they can't buy it. If you don't offer, it's like I have this thing, right? If you don't put an offer in front of me, I can't buy your thing. And they go, ah. And my, I often ask the question, who's got your offer right now? And they go, nobody. Or, oh, we don't have one out there. Oh, it's on the website. Yeah, but who is actually seeing See that? It. Who's seeing that, yeah. that offer? Because if somebody's seeing your offer, then you've got an opportunity to make the, make the sale happen. Yeah. But if they don't see the offer, there's no offer in front of them, they can't buy it. So I, I say to people, what's your offer? And they'll have a convoluted idea of what that is, right? And then the next question is, well, who's got it in front of them? And then how are you helping them buy it? Yeah. Right? How are you doing that? And they're, they're like, oh, we need to follow them up or we need to talk to them or we need to ask a question. Or, and yes, you need to do all of those things. And so you need to think about, you know, uh, how do we get people to buy? What do they need to do? Remember, 32 frames of reference. You know, maybe we don't need 32 frames of reference. Maybe we just need the right things that are relevant to help them make the next step or yeah. the decision. How do we help them to deal with price? How do we help them deal with, is this the right product? How do we help them to deal with, will this work for me? Will this do what I want it to do? Uh, uh, can I rely on this? Are you going to be in business so I can get this fixed or looked after or serviced or supported down the track? All of these questions, if you can answer these questions, you're going to stand out from the crowd. You're going to beat your competition. Um, and probably the biggest thing is, is, is know where you're heading. Most people don't know where they're heading, uh, but you want to sit there and go, hey, you know, this is my plan. Every business needs a strategic plan right now, and they don't have one. No. Um, we're still in a climate of uncertainty. We're still in a climate of volatility. We're still in a climate of ambiguity. We've still got complexity. We're still in a pandemic, right? Half the businesses that were here a year ago are gone. It took a year to wipe out half the small businesses on the planet. There's still, and there's still more to come, right? Yeah. So, but there's a whole bunch of new businesses that have come along and opened up in this time. And there's a whole bunch of businesses that have grown in this time. And so you can only be in three places. You're either making a decision and you're growing. So you've got an idea and you're looking ahead and you're planning to that. You're either trying to hang in there. If you're trying to hang in there, you're only going to be hanging in there for six months to a year. That's it. You'll be out. If, you, if, it's, if it's maintenance, you're dying. If you're not growing, you're going dying. Backwards. Right? You're going backwards. If you're trying to maintain, your competition isn't going, oh, my God, they're maintaining. Let's maintain too. No, they're yeah. maintaining. Hey, that looks like they're going out of business. We better go to all those customers and let them know that they're going out of business because they're maintaining. We're here, right? So your competition will outperform you if you're maintaining. Yep. Uh, the market doesn't stop. Inflation doesn't stop. People don't stop. So you don't want to stop. The third place is you're trending or trending downwards. You're drifting, right? So when you're drifting, you've got to make decisions. Otherwise, you're out. Uh, if you're maintenance, you've got to make some decisions. Otherwise, you're gone. But if you're trending up, it means that you are decisively acting on a forward-moving plan. Your company will grow. Your business will grow. Opportunities will, will happen. There is a huge gap right now, and there's this little boom that's going to happen. Right now, the Western world, Europe, America, even us, there are still relative lockdowns. We have a level of normality in this country. However, 30% of our GDP, which is tied up in travel and hospitality, is gone. Right, international travel is still gone. Won't be here for another year. It's always six months. Yeah, six months to a year. Right, and even then, when it gets back here, it's going to take two or three years to get back to where it was in January nineteen twenty. Oh, sorry, twenty twenty nineteen. Mm -hmm. 
that, that the way they're around. It's going to take a year to get there, right? So um, understand that's a big chunk. So what's happening is the gap is widening for the market. So if you're in the market to generate clients, you can pick up those clients from your competition in the market. So yeah, so be visible. Be visible, but I think the first step goes back to what we were talking about before is understanding where the customer is. Mm. Because so many people think they need to be visible somewhere mm-hmm. and it's not actually where their customers behave. Like me asking a question about being on Coastal Watch. Mm-hmm. Well, having your ads shown on Coastal Watch if you don't sell to surfers, kind of pointless. Irrelevant, yeah. Totally pointless. Yeah. Right? So really getting into the shoes of your customer and understanding where do they spend time. Yeah. And I think also about what is their mentality when they're on that platform. Yeah. Because I think, what's your thoughts on like, I say to people, especially if they sell B2B, mm-hmm. they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to retarget my LinkedIn connections on Facebook and mm-hmm. I sell corporate leadership mm-hmm. and so we're going to try and find the CEO on Facebook. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what's their... What do you reckon they're doing when they're on Facebook? Do you reckon yeah. they're in their business mind? Are they or are they zoning out looking for they're just family, friends, yeah. crazy stuff, whatever? What's, what the probably the last thing that's on their mind mm-hmm. is looking at corporate leadership or yeah. whatever. So is that even a good place to be trying to show up or or what what does your ad need to do to get their scroll stop before you can pattern interrupt? Yeah. Right? Or do you divert double down on where you know they're going to be mm-hmm. and think about how you can do something differently to be there. Uh, my, my, the, if I look at guys like John Caples and uh, Claude Hopkins who are the grandfathers of responsive marketing, these people wrote the book on marketing and advertising. They tested millions and millions of dollars worth of money on ads. Uh, uh, people would have to pay them a million dollars just to write one page for the newspaper. Yeah. So they were highly paid, highly skilled, highly – this is back in the 1930s. When a million dollars is worth a lot of money, right? So, so even if I look at the 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 um, the current mentors in in marketing, guys, people like Jay Abraham, people like uh, Dan Kennedy, uh, um, you know, uh, Eugene Schwartz, all all these guys, um, they would all say one word: test, 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 test. You don't know That's until the only you word test Ed it. Dale knows, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> You don't know. You don't know until you put it out there. And But you don't have to, like I'm a big believer in failing fast and failing cheap, mm-hmm. right? I want to fail as cheaply as possible. But to do that, I've still got to throw some water into yeah. the pump, right? Or prime the pump with some advertising. Mm-hmm. So uh, so to find, and, and you might be testing for a while to find that sweet spot. And then you're going to build a control. And then from that control, you're going to test again. And you're going to test again. And so you're slowly, slowly, you're working towards improving your engagement your capability there's also a thing you've got to be mindful of is you know how do you know well there's a thing called message blindness and so there's a point where your ads no longer even though you've got a converting offer because people have seen the ad you've saturated the the market with that image or with that ad you need to change up the ad because you've got message blindness and what happens is when you get to that point and there's less and less people clicking the cost of ads actually goes up Mm. right because you're not churning the volume Yep. So you might be running an ad, and and uh, although it worked a month ago, because you've been running it for too long, you've the same audience is seeing it and it's being diluted. So you need to show that ad to another audience of the same idea or the same milk, but maybe in another platform. Or you redesign the ad. You might you make the still the same offer, but you'll change the image or change the copy yeah. uh, because you need to keep it fresh. Right? Advertising is a really technical game, but to me. 
I don't know until I put the idea out. And I talk to a lot of people who, you know, it's like I've got to get everything perfect and I've got to get all my ducks in a row and I've got to make sure everything works. I learned a really long time ago. I, I was I was I was smart enough to listen to uh, one of my mentors, uh, Jay Abraham, and he said, you know, you and well, Seth Godin says this as well. You've just got to ship it. Like if you've got an idea and you think it's a good idea, then share the idea. And if somebody puts money down, that's when it's validated. So I built an entire, we built a million dollar company off a product that hadn't even been built. We got people to pre-buy the product. And then we, as we were building the product, we were evolving. So they were getting a better and better version of the product, right? Mm -hmm. Until they got the product that we promised them, right? Yeah. But we needed to get the money to build the product. So we raised half a million dollars uh, by going to a large group of people saying, listen, this is the idea. If you like the idea, we'll let you in at this level, right? Uh, but you're not going to get this for 12 months, yeah. right? But incrementally along the way, you're going to be with us on that journey to get you that product. It took right? me six months to get the book that's over there from Stephen Kotler because <laughs> actually I think it took longer. Yeah. Because I bought it in pre-sale. Yeah, yeah. And it I took six months to get back. Yeah. So <laughs> He's like, this you is can, my idea. I'm yeah. like, buy it. People will invest in ideas. People will, if you've got a great idea, you want to validate it, right? And so for me, uh, I don't want to wait till I get the ad perfect. I don't care about perfection. I just want to get a response. I want to get feedback. And if the, the, the market's going to tell me whether they like it or not, that's who I need to listen to. I don't need to listen to myself. I don't need to like my colors, right? I don't need to like, the market's going to tell me that looks amazing. Yeah. I might think it looks like a dog's breakfast, right? Yeah. But they think it's but great, like it. so I'll just give it to them. Give them what they want. If I change it, if I'm the per, if I'm the customer, then yeah, I've got some say in it. But if I'm not the customer, the person who is going to make the engagement or pay the money is the person that's in charge of the distribution of that product. Yeah. So stop putting ducks in a row. Stop preparing. Stop trying to create the best copy. Right. Have an idea. Share the idea. See if it validates. To me, validation is somebody who's willing to pay pay for it. You know, we talked about a guy who, uh, before we got on this uh, call, uh, this podcast, about a guy who was, you know, creating this product and he's going to launch this product in five weeks' time. And he had a small audience that he could go to and share the product with now, and ask them, "Would you buy this? Like, I've got I've got this idea. It's really it does all these cool things. Is that something that you like the idea of? And if it is, can I show it to you? And if you like it, you can let me know how much you, would you pay for that so I can get a gauge of what you think it's worth, right? And if I hear a little bit of consensus or if I can sell it before I build it, now you can go and build all the other assets and build yeah. out that launch. It's that, that Because what happens is you might build all that stuff, nobody likes your idea. And so yeah. you've invested all this energy and time thinking this is going to be amazing. Best thing, uh, you know, ever. Best thing ever. And you're emotionally caught up in this. Yeah. But the mark, you haven't validated the idea. And that's the number one thing is you want validation. You want somebody to value what you do and value. One way to validate is people are putting money down on the table saying, I will buy that from you. Yeah. Here's my money. Right. Great. Let's get it to you. Right. So uh, uh, don't get ducks in a row. Right. Um, you know, be a do. Don't be a duck. Yeah, <laughs> be a dude, don't be a duck. So, yeah, I mean, action's going to trump anything. Um, and you want feedback as quickly as possible. That, that's what marketing's all about, yeah. is testing and getting feedback. Yep. You know? So, oh. yeah. So much. 
Like this is not what I thought our conversation no, would be like. We're everywhere. What did you think it was going to be like? I, 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 well, I just thought we were going down a particular track. I like where we've gone because we've covered <laughs> so many things in the time of Pedia. But it's like normally when people sort of get me to talk about you know specific things and uh, that sort of stuff. I mean, we went from advertising to stand up paddleboards to to you know being a duck and a do and uh, you know what the things you need to know about advertising. I guess. Um, at the end of the day, uh, you know, uh, hopefully uh, people can take a nugget from what we've talked about. Um, and that's the other thing. The last thing if I, want to, if I was going to quickly share uh, is that don't be an action faker, right? Whoa. Don't be an action faker. An action faker is somebody who consumes ideas and consumes information uh-huh. but never actually acts on the idea. So you can be an action faker, know a lot of stuff, be very smart, right? Yep. But never actually experience a result. Because you never actually put your toe in the water and do, right? Well, Take action. Similar to what I say, we don't have a knowledge problem; we have an implementation problem. Yeah, action fakers. You consume, but no one. action. action so, and that's not mine. That was a guy called MJ Demarco who said, who coined the phrase "action faker." Um, uh, for me, I call them knowledgeable derelicts. Yep. I used to be a knowledgeable derelict. I used to like, love all this great mindset stuff and blah 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 and learn it all. And then I'd be a year down the track and thinking. Why am I cracking this? Why am I feeling what that person feels, mm-hmm. right? The reason why is because I haven't acted on the idea. Yeah. So whenever I do stuff like this, if you've been listening to uh, the stuff we've been talking about, if you could, ju- I always ask, take one piece and act on it immediately. Like I've got to get some feedback on the one piece as quickly as possible. So if I buy a book, I'll read whatever I'm reading. Take one idea from what I'm reading. Just one thing. It doesn't have to be big, small, indifferent. Just something. Go and try it. Get feedback. Sometimes you're going to win. Sometimes you're going to surprise yourself. Sometimes you'll learn something different. Um, I, we have a friend, a mutual friend, who I love the reframe. Uh, uh, he says, you're either winning or you're learning. Right? Yeah. Learning is that action taking, not action faking. Uh, the winning is the result of the action taking. Right? Um, but yeah, don't be an action faker, be an action taker. Take one idea of whatever we've convolutedly shared with all the directions we went to in this <laughs> podcast and apply it. Give it a shot. See what happens. Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of key pieces of gold to, to recap there. I think branding. Mm-hmm. Get your brand, own your name, own your domain and own the handles yeah. so that you're at least protected mm-hmm. and you've got it. And it just, it, people think you have to go and spend, and this is where we talked about $30,000 on a bay, <laughs> but you don't need to spend huge amounts of money to have a professional looking brand. Some of the best brands are so simple. Mm-hmm. Super clean. Just words. Super simple. Just a type font. Yep. That's it. But it's about the, the way to have branding is to have consistency. Yeah. To have a suite of colors, to have a consistent imagery, to have a consistent look, mm-hmm. and to make it timeless, not fancy. You're always branding. Regardless always of whatever branding. you do, you're always branding. And if, and if you're branding in a mixed message, then that's what you're doing. You're mixed message branding. But if you're branding consistently, then people are going to see yeah. that message. Well, I, when I, again, when I talk personal branding, I said to you, everybody has a personal brand, mm-hmm. whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. And it's what people say or worse don't say about you mm-hmm. when you leave a room or a conversation mm-hmm. so you've got to take control of it so you're always branding are you in control of that brand yep. are you being deliberate and have you got intent absolutely so start with at least going what is that digital footprint mm-hmm. where do i where do i need to be where are my people and at least protecting your assets and yep. and you've got your start real with estate. the people who already buy ask them why did you buy this why do you like us what what, what got you here 
You know, why you why do you keep buying, right? Yeah. If you understand that journey, that's like the cornerstone of all your marketing. Uh, go and talk, like, and that's probably going to be the best thing you can ever do is talk to your customers. We did an exercise where we sent our entire team to actually physically engage over 100 of our clients face-to-face. We did a 90-minute interview with every customer, a 90-minute interview, all our team. It took us about a month to get 100, 100 interviews with customers. And there was one thing that kept on popping. We, I listened to every interview, and there's one thing that popped up out of the interview which I thought was like the cornerstone. We asked this question, you could have gone anywhere to buy Facebook advertising. There's heaps of, there's probably people who came to you that were better than us, right? They, were, they could have been, they would have been cheaper, they were better, but you chose us. Why did you do that? And the thing that came back is you understood our business. These people who came to us, they didn't understand who we were and what we did. But you guys, you understood what you would do. You understood us, how we worked, how we thought, what we needed to do to, to implement. That's why we bought you. That understanding, I mean, if I look at uh, a great example of that would be Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm-hmm. The fourth habit is uh, seek to understand and then seek yeah. to be understood. Super powerful, that one thing. Understand your market. Yeah. Be there for your market in the way they converse, they view you. Then they're going to gravitate towards you because they go, they're looking for likeness, right? They're looking for similarities. And so they want to hang with people who understand and get them, right? If you don't get your marketplace... Not going to happen. So your existing customers, go and have a chat. Why did you buy? How did you find us? How did you get here? What was the relate? What was the process? How did we first get in touch? Where did you first see us? Ask those questions because that's going to give you a clue. Especially if you're talking to half a dozen of your top clients, that's going to show you uh, where they came from. That's going to give you great ideas. It's also going to give you great marketing material that you can go to the market with. So you can actually follow or sell the way your clients buy. Yeah. Like you're relevant, right? Which is really key. So uh, yeah, that's a really big one. Know who yeah. buys. Know who buys. I think I call it like really getting to know your avatar. And I think that's that starts that whole journey. And it's ab- actually interviewing your avatar, your customer mm-hmm. is the best data you can possibly get. Where yeah. do you spend? Where do you look online? What do you buy? How do you buy? That whole process. What can we, what else could we sell you? What else do you need? <laughs> yeah. What else do yeah. you want from us? Yeah. What so could we you create could, for you? Yeah. What could what we, we add? What would help you? Mm-hmm. Like, how could we serve you mm. better? How yeah. could we serve you more? Yeah. And then taking the steps from there and designing, like you said, it doesn't matter what colors you like. Yeah. It matters what they like. Yeah. And then start from, from that purpose. It, it's so funny. I've come around 360 um, <laughs> in the last four years of, with, my, with my coaching and consulting mm-hmm. business. When I decided to get out of recruitment, I didn't know what I was going to do next. I had all these opportunities and I went and did a business accelerator in Bali, mm-hmm. what I now teach. And they said, just go, go back and ask your top five clients why they dealt with you. I'm like, well, that doesn't, it's not going to be relevant. Like I sold them recruitment. I'm not going mm-hmm. to do recruitment anymore. I like, just go ask them. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, because you got us, mm-hmm. because you knew our business, you understood the money, you could give us sales advice you could mm-hmm. give us marketing advice you could tell us how to do this you get taught us how to do our culture mm-hmm. actually you were just like our business coach mm-hmm. oh really and a lot of recruiters are that oh 100 yeah. percent. you've got to know the insides and outs yeah. and the industry especially if you're a specialist mm-hmm. everything to do with it it's yeah. like oh it's like and because when i was having a shit day i could just call you even when it wasn't relevant mm-hmm. yeah oh. and then all of a sudden it spins and it's it's that data mm-hmm. that you need to be. It's like okay, cool. What well, what else? How else could I serve you? You could be our business coach. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> like, 
And I thought I'd lost you, so yeah. it was the ether. Yeah. Right? Ask that data, understand where they where they are, build the thing for them. Build mm-hmm. the pe- like you said to our friend, you've got fifteen people. Go and ask them what they want. Because mm-hmm. you want, Do you like you this want idea? another fifteen people like that. Actually you only want ten. You yeah. just told us you only need ten. Yeah. So and and build from there. Mm-hmm. Hire experts that have done it in the yeah. past. Always higher up. Higher up. And like don't like it's great to try and know it yourself, but if you really want to make it um, have like don't get into it yourself. I mean, yeah. it's so complex. There's so many moving pieces, and it's really easy to burn through cash. Yeah. You really want to have a conversation with your advertiser. You don't want to be just up and running ads very quickly. You want to think about what strategy. are you selling. The, <laughs> the strategy piece is really important. Sometimes, like in it, when we were doing we're doing advertising for clients, we don't run an ad for like eight weeks because in that eight week period, we're trying to get to know. Okay, this is your business. This is what you're selling. How do people buy? Let's make sure we're crafting an offer that is relevant for your market, your community. Let's look at what we're doing and then let's run a test on these sorts of things. And let's make sure that if you do get the inquiry, that they're actually managed. So we need to make sure all that's working yeah. so that when we do run the ads, leaky leads, we're out. Of, yeah, when we run the ads, we're going to hit the ball out of the park. So I would always hire an expert. I would prefer to hire somebody who knows what they're doing. Now, when we say knowing what they're doing and we're testing the market, that doesn't necessarily see. It's better if they do or have run ads in your market before. That would be helpful because they've got insider knowledge. But for somebody who asks the right questions, right, who, who takes you down that path and understands that there is an incremental growth in the investment you're making and there's a return you need to make, then as long as they understand the proven path, then they're okay too. Yeah. But uh, I would always try and find somebody who's, who knows what they're doing in, in advertising. Online advertising is a game that changes every day. Google made 460 changes last year to its ad platform. Facebook made over 400 changes last year. Uh, the algorithm has significantly made an impact on the marketplace. Uh, now Apple's iOS has made a huge impact. How uh, do you keep up, right? You, don't, you can't keep you can't. up. So you've got to hire somebody who knows what they are doing. And there's great people out there who, uh, who can help you. you, know, you just have to start asking and you'll find people who are really good at what they do in that, in that market. But it is important, it is, it is a channel that's not going anywhere. Um, and it's, you know, this is where your customers live. Yeah. Like how are you marketing on mobile? mobile? Not how you're marketing on desktop. No. Because that thing is with me 24 seven. Yep. Right. Not that I like it being with me for 24-7, but it kind of is, right? Yep. And I'm always picking it up and I'm always paying attention to the messaging. So things like push notifications, messenger, different lev- different platforms of communication right now, we're all into Text the texting, messages. right? So why are we collecting mobile phone numbers for all our clients yep. in, our, uh, in our units or in our uh, forms, right? Because yeah. uh, we're texting. Uh, in Facebook, we're messengering. We're using message apps. They've got a higher conversion rate than an email. Now, yep. email is still very important, still works brilliantly, right? So we want to capture people and communicate on multiple channels. So if you're going to send a message out, send a message out on LinkedIn, on Facebook Messenger, on uh, DM Instagram, uh, on text message, on voice message, multi-task uh, your messaging or syndicate your messaging, you're going to get much more conversion, better results. Yeah. One really important thing from what you said there is, so many people press go on the ads and they don't have that back-end system. Mm-hmm. I, I can put my hand up. We mm-hmm. had a problem. We did 100 lead bundle, mm-hmm. the concept of um, the ads, and we got 300 leads. Mm-hmm. I'm like, but where's the sales? Oh, mm-hmm. the zap broke. Mm-hmm. So the zap didn't hit the system. Mm-hmm. So the zap didn't hit our email system, so they, yeah. didn't hit the, they didn't actually get the thing they wanted to download. Yeah. 
and the so the whole nurture sequence went out mm -hmm. and then we didn't have any way to contact them because yeah. they hadn't come over so a we found the, the problem yeah. but the, the problem was we trusted that it was working and didn't realize that it broke yep the other one was then we went to moving to start the chat box so that the chat picked it up rather than going to email but mm -hmm. then we still got back in asked for the email mm -hmm. then the many chat broke mm -hmm. but someone wasn't checking mm -hmm. and the the social media team didn't check yeah so it's about really making sure before you press go and getting all excited mm -hmm. on it that you've got your sales system on the back end. Yeah, you know what's you know, going to happen. And one of the other problems I've seen with some clients is the decision maker pressed go on the ads but didn't tell the, the customer service or the marketing team. So nobody knew it was their job to check. Yep. And then, the, so this is the back and end the of strategy frame. and time frame. So, uh, you know, um, are things going to break? Absolutely. Always. Always. Um, uh, and you know, marketing is a fickle, uh, a fickle friend. So yeah, you've got to make sure things are fixed and running. But there's always going to be something that breaks, and you've got to pay attention to it. Yeah. You know, and we, you know, we, you're talking about those ideas of generating a 300 lead bundle or a, a selling, you know, a communicating by a chat. Um, uh, you've got to make sure that you're monitoring the progression of that. Yeah. Yeah. And and the other thing is expectation. You know, a lot, a lot of people are trying to go in for the kill so quickly when people are going, well, I just kind of need to get just to know you a little bit better. Yeah, I just <laughs> yeah. want to know you a little bit better. Is this yeah. the right place? Am I looking at the right thing? Uh, you know, can you help me out? Understand that there's a process yeah. that, in, in and that like engagement. And like you said, the, the, the 32 points or the mm -hmm. time frame that they need to get to know you to warm up the audience yeah. and that you, yeah, mm -hmm. it's like literally walking in a bar trying to pull one out straight away before you order them a drink. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the, the highest paid marketers in the world are the data analysts. Yeah. They're the high, the people who actually look at the data are the people who actually make the most money yeah. because they can read what the behavior is based on points, right? Yeah. They can see what's going on based on interactions or behavior or, uh, you know, what people are clicking on, what time, when, when does somebody buy it? That zero moment of truth, that study, yeah analyze that data the people who analyze that data are the most powerful people on the planet yeah. they are the highest paid people in in uh, in, in jobs right now um, because they get to see behavior uh, and you know and with predictable yeah and AI all that sort of coming along that's starting to interface and give another uh, a whole other context but you have to read the AI AI in and of itself doesn't work you have to be able to read what's going yeah. on so there's a human being on the other end of that. There will always be a human being on the end of marketing. It'll Except never be. It'll yeah. never be automated fully or 100%. There'll always be the human element because we, because a computer or an algorithm can't predict behaviour, right? It can identify, but it can't forward predict, yeah. right? So that needs a human being to do that. So the computers aren't that smart. It'll be a very long time before that that happens. You know, I think we're probably about 20 years away from anything like that really occurring. At least we've got one job that's safe. We've got, no. we've got a safe job, yeah. So, yeah, um, uh, analyzing your data, looking at your numbers. Yeah. Uh, the more you get into those things it. in your business, that's where it's, that's where you're going to make the big changes. Yeah, know your numbers. numbers. Yeah. Uh, constantly review. I think the key thing that came out of that just then was always be going back and reviewing. Know that something's going to break, but you want to catch the break as yeah. soon as possible so systems processes see, in how everything often, how often should someone be reviewing i want to i want to know what's going on daily like i want to see like sometimes there'll be there'll be ways of flagging things right mm -hmm. you'll know very you know picking up some of those things should have been picked up the day the ad ran like as soon as yeah. you had the first three or four 
leads, okay, where are they? Are the emails firing off? Is the zap working? Yeah. You want to catch it as whoever's in charge should be catching those things like at the time, not yeah. waiting a week and going, oh, that's a, like I'll a check. week of leads yeah. gone, right? Uh, when that problem could have been solved or actually identified by somebody who went, hang on a second, I just want to make sure that this is going all the way through the sequence. So maybe I need to jump in and opt into my ad to see if it's if it working, through. if it goes through, or maybe I need yeah. to give a test to two or three people. Is it working? Does that fire off? Yes. I, look, I've been in the same situation where we've had a piece that's broken. It happened to me a week ago. And it, uh, after the fact, it was too late. But now we know next time we do this, that piece will not be broken again, yeah. right? So now we've fixed that piece, and it's another adjustment, another adjustment. You're just going to get better and better Just at doing it. Don't trust it. Like our zap broke after three weeks. Yep. So it was working yep. fine. Yep. But then because someone logged into social media, we had to change in a mm-hmm. password. Yeah. And that's no one, it. I didn't know that that was going to fuck the zap. So there's always somebody <laughs> that's going to check. Yeah. Somebody Make always somebody has charge. to check. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so and you want to look at your feedback, and you want to catch those things in as close to real time as possible. But these are like little adjustments and somebody who knows what they're doing should actually yeah. be aware of it. If you've got of, an ads manager yeah. doing it, then yeah. yeah. And the <laughs> ad manager should know. And if the ad manager doesn't, well, they only need to make a mistake once. Yeah. And they're gonna go, okay, well, next time we do this, we have to make sure, you know. Yeah. So yeah, marketing is something that you have to invest in. It's not, and that's the other thing is, you're here for, a, you know, you. I, how long are you here for? How long are you in business for? Right, you in business for a month or two months or six months or twelve months, you know, uh, you've also got to picture out what the relationship is, what the value that you're building with your customers. Marketing advertising is always going to change. The platforms are going to change. There's going to be new places to run ads all the time. Uh, at the end of the day, we we're going to have to learn them. You know, so we've got to get better at communication, and the best place to do that is hire people who've got skills who are better than you, because you should be always directing. Hire better than you. Yeah, you yeah. you should be directing the business, not not uh, being in the, the yeah. working you know, motion of business. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Give me your best recommendations on books or podcasts that a business owner should consume in around marketing and advertising. Uh, I Love Marketing by Dean Jackson and uh, Joe Polish is probably one of yeah. the best business podcasts, uh, marketing podcasts out there. Uh, Seth Godin's podcast, uh, anything that Seth does is yeah. probably the best marketing strategy ever. Uh, he's got a beautiful thing called Startups, uh, uh, Startup with Seth. Uh, I would highly recommend that. Uh, any of his books would be recommended. The one book that I think, uh, and I keep coming back to it, and people always ask me, what's the book? I've got plenty of books that I would recommend. The one book that kind of changed my life is Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm-hmm. That was probably one of the greatest business books ever written. There is a new edition in the uh, How to Win Friends in the Digital Age. That's the new edition. I haven't edition. read it yet. Yeah. I better um, get it. It's the same as the previous edition, it just incorporates some of the internet or yeah. social media stuff. Um, but the principles in that in that book are timeless. Uh, I've often it's one of those books that I give a lot away. But there's another unusual book. It's called The Alchemist by Paolo oh, Coelho. Yes. And the reason why I love that book is the story is so poignant that the journey that the person takes in that book brings them back to where they were in the beginning, mm. and that's where the riches were. Uh, <laughs> so it's like sometimes we're we're li- literally looking. Uh, far off into the distance of where opportunity is when right now is right the now. moment. So, um, so that's probably uh, a great book. A great, it's a great story. Uh, um, uh, but uh, Alchemist is a is a fantastic book. Um, and then How to Win Friends and Influence People uh, podcasts. I love marketing. Um, uh, in Australia, the uh, uh, Small Business Big Marketing 
uh, is a great uh, marketing okay. podcast because yep. uh, he interviews lots of founders, um, uh, Tim, Tim Reed. Um, but look, uh, you should always be reading, you know, and, and you're, you know, that, that's, that just changes your thinking. Um, uh, even if you have like a routine, if you read for 10 minutes a day, just something that's nourishing, supportive, encouraging, it doesn't matter what you read, um, that's going to steer you in a pretty cool way in your life. So it's pretty important. So yeah, um, everybody's got a favorite book. But uh, I keep going back to How to Win Friends and Lots of People. And The Alchemist is a great story. Yeah. It's probably one of the best business lessons around. And there's heaps of other great books that I'd like to mention. But, uh, you know, the, my library would be packed. <laughs> Everybody else's library would <laughs> be packed. I'm going to make Amazon rich by telling you, these are the books you want to buy. <laughs> I'll use my affiliate link when we yeah, put yeah. them in the show notes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, now, how can everyone consume more of you? Where do we find uh, you? Just go to consultingunleashed.com. There's podcasts, there's videos. Uh, if you just type in John Logo in Google, uh, there's a YouTube channel. Uh, there's hundreds of videos <laughs> on there. Search optimized everywhere. Search optimized everywhere. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, you can just Google me. But if you go to consultingunleashed.com, uh, you can see a lot of cool stuff in there. There's lots of training and video and uh, a lot of entrepreneurial things. But, uh, yeah, that's where they can come and see me. Love it. And is there any parting words for the listeners today? Um, be kind. Be kind. Mm. Be kind to yourself. Uh, we're, we're, we're living in some really interesting times and we're not, we don't do enough for ourselves. So I think the first person we've got to be really good to is us. And the second person we've got to be good to is everybody else. Uh, and because we're in a world that is very demanding and very challenging and we've come through uh, some pretty incredible emotional experiences in the last year or so and I think we forget that you know just being nice and and being mindful of that kindness uh, goes a long way enrich your life enrich everybody else's life just be good to yourself and be good to others oh I think we're out on that one that's the mic drop moment <laughs> bang well thank you so much sir thanks this has been an absolute pleasure that was a blast There's so much in there so uh, everyone remember you now need to run along and get the one action point that you're going to take that's it one thing one thing that you're going to take out of this podcast and you're going to take action on and i'd love to see in the comments what that one thing is okay guys we'll see you on the flip side as always if you feel like there's anyone that could get value from listening to this podcast needs a little bit of help with their advertising and marketing make sure you share this episode to them thank you bye guys thanks Jake. Hey there, Barrel Chasing business owners. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. What would be amazing and allow us to reach as many business owners just like you would be if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you feel like you got any entertainment or any value out of today, if you could pop on over, that would mean the world to us. See you on the next show.